Traveling the Vortex. We've joined Melanthius as he sails the seven seas, and unlike the primitives, we are not afraid of episode 218, A Case of Deja Vu. I'm Keith. I'm Sean. I'm Glenn. How are you guys? I'm good. Welcome cool. back from Galley. Thank you. Did you guys have a good trip? We had a very good trip. We'll get more into that later. <laughs> <laughs> yes, listener. <laughs> We're going to call Keith out this week. That was my Elephant thoughts. in the room. Keith said to 18 last week. He was a whole week ahead of himself. He was trying to get the week over. So He really didn't want to hear me prattle <laughs> on about Galley. He was so envious. <laughs> Wait, does that mean we're not doing it this week? No. I have a whole suitcase full of stuff for you guys. <laughs> Ooh, stuff. Well, we'll do case. that, and then we'll move on to something else. <laughs> No you heard idea. it. He promised. You have He's, no got He's got a whole suitcase. Case. Case. You have no idea how difficult it was to get this stuff. Because <laughs> <laughs> I'd already gone. That's I illegal. Back. I had to go forward and do it again. <laughs> back. Popped in the TARDIS. Flew back to Gallifrey. I have one. <gasps> well, we could all go to Gallifrey. Yeah. Why didn't no. you take us? It doesn't work that way. It's a fixed point. <laughs> <laughs> no, if it's a fixed point, you can't go back. <laughs> no, 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 no. See, you're misunderstanding the doctor's rules. It doesn't apply to him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's true. That's how I know I'm failing French. <laughs> I've already seen the outcome of this one. <laughs> uh, School's not going well? School's going exceptionally well. French is not going well. <laughs> Did you get to do anything fun other than school and work? I like how you cut to the chase. You just get those right out of the way. Did you do anything else this week but school school and work? work. I know those are going to be two of the answers. Did you enjoy not getting snowed in? (laughs) That was so. (laughs) The snowmageddon that never was. You know what's funny is this is going to sound really weird. Because there was that threat of 8 to 10 inches of snow on Saturday, which they then very quickly downgraded to 3, which we didn't even get that, um, we had an easier Saturday than what we would normally have. That's because no one was expecting because, to go home. Oh. Yeah. I mean, it, well, it was snowing early Saturday, so people thought, oh, here's yeah, that snow it, that we were expecting. Hit like three hours earlier than people Well, panicked. and we, were, we knew we were getting around on Saturday. We were supposed we to get we it getting, at noon. We thought we were getting And it two. was supposed to be, a, yeah, about a, uh, an inch or two. And then Sunday overnight, into until noon well, was Sunday like was Saturday supposed to be like the nine. big heavy yeah. snow. So well, yeah, they kept moving it up. You're right, but it never happened. But nope, be, be, the second one never that. happened. Be, because and then everybody... today it warmed up enough that most of the snow is almost <laughs> yeah, gone. It's almost gone. <laughs> Welcome to Kansas. But because everybody kind of got gun shy and didn't go out, we had a whole bunch of people scheduled and no customers. Oh. So we got so many projects done. <laughs> we cleaned. We organized. This sounds literally really lame. It's like, what'd you do? I had a great day at work. I did. <laughs> it was fun. It was so. I mean, not that work's not normally fun, but as opposed to the normal headache-inducing, yeah. you know, helping customers. Yeah. <laughs> Don't say it like that. But, you know, we just we were able. To I love to retail, except for the customers. <laughs> That's so true, though. <laughs> well, ninety percent of the customers. I, there was ten percent I really enjoyed. I always enjoyed. said this job would be great if it wasn't for the customers. Um, <laughs> I loved framing if it weren't for other people's stupid ideas on what they should have. 
Just give it to me and let me do give, do my vision. Give oh, me a I, price point. I loved I loved radio until people you know started calling started in. calling in and wanted. <laughs> I want to hear this. I want to hear this. No, you don't. You want to hear a what I song? Why do you I'm going to play. That? I'm going to play the good music for you, and you will understand why you should be listening to this, and not the same droll that you keep calling in requesting. <laughs> we don't have the rights to that one. Yeah, <laughs> we don't have the rights. I don't think it. We don't want to. We don't want to pay that. Yeah, you don't pay for yeah. songs anymore. Well, you might now on radio. I've been out of radio for 30, 20 years. Not quite that old. 20 years. 25. And no, hey, you, they, you. It was free range. You, you know, they, well, they sent us stuff for free because that's uh-huh. how the record companies got the songs out there. Is the radios played the songs, people listened to it, went to the store and bought it. So we got all kinds of stuff for free. Uh, and unfortunately, you know, I was, that's why I, I was always singles. I was play, yeah, I'm playing uh, kind of tongue-in-cheek with, you know, just having to play the droll and, and wanting to play the own, my own stuff. But realistically, what happens is you, you come in and the program director usually puts a lot of stuff in front of you and says, this is what we're playing because this is what the record companies have sent us. And that was our job was to and get this is that what's getting out ratings. there. Exactly. Now, I think it works probably differently now that, that music, the music industry is completely different where you can actually well, own yeah, there, your songs. There, there's an ENIAC computer that says yeah. you will listen to this. Right. And it sends that track to another computer at the radio station that says we are playing this. <laughs> and it goes out over the air and all the people go, we should go to Vintage Stock and buy this. <laughs> but back in the day, that was that was the way to go. And and there were songs that made it, some that didn't. And and you would yeah. play everything, and then whatever you know stuck around was popular. That's what you played because that's what people wanted to hear. So it was a real. Game. That's how Rod Stewart made it. A DJ in Cleveland flipped over every picture tells a story and played the B side, which happened yep. to be Maggie May. That happens. Uh-huh, yeah. That happens. I had no idea that's how that started. I did, yeah. I, uh, once, actually, once again, well, I continually find out. I'm, I, you I guys, went to, you, I went to I'm, school I'm, to I'm be a police here. officer. I was incredible. What? Yeah, I was, I was yeah, a reserve police officer either. for a year. I was a reserve police officer in Tyrone, Oklahoma for a year. And I was going to school for criminal justice at the same time. This yeah, I'm sure before. I have. No. I'm sure I have. No. Well, you'd think in the 20 years we've known each other, I've no. at least once. <laughs> But I was going to school for criminal justice, and I just decided that I didn't want to do that anymore, and so I went over to communications. I switched my major to math comp. Lots of tangent there, but yeah, that's I, 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 I am sitting, I I am sitting here listening to you with the same level of awe with which I listened to Barnaby <laughs> Edwards. Just <laughs> tell me a story, Glenn. I had, I genuinely, I had no idea. That was my history. I had yeah. no idea. I got to, I'm sure you knew that. I, I did I not think, know that. I think there's a lost, lot of things. There's a lot of information with the stroke. Sean. There's a lot of that things that I forget. <laughs> there's a lot of things that I forget, but there's a lot of things that I know I've never heard. That was and good. I'm two years of my life, I would have told you that. You don't. You guys know how this works. You don't delve into that when you're friends That's you're true. just going dude can i borrow the new doctor who vhs <laughs> <laughs> it's common interest we did, like, well, yeah that's what because we connected on that level of geekdom that's yeah, what we did that's, that's we had a lot of the same things so this is what we always talk about is our yeah. common interests so yeah no, no, there you go sean so we don't talk about the things that we 20 years down the road <laughs> just learned that i was a police officer and a radio dj I, <laughs> you've had more jobs than <laughs> Holly jokes with me that I've been in so many more professions than anybody she knows. <laughs> See, I've had a ton of jobs, but they've all been the same. <laughs> just different businesses. Just different businesses. Yeah. Well, sometimes consistency's good because I've been in a lot of start. You know, I, I start a career and then go, nope, not going to do that one. <laughs> Don't nope. like that. 
You have a I wide palette. I delivered furniture for a while too. Did I tell you that, that one? I knew that one. You knew. that one. I knew. <laughs> that's well. That's because I always bring that up whenever I, my back gets yeah. hurt because that started my whole life. Well, and, and it's, it's whenever. Hey, we're moving. Can you help? No, I used to get paid to do that. I'm not doing that anymore. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody pays me to do that anymore. <laughs> I injured my back. That's got me out of that one. So that wasn't one of the ones that I said. Oh, I'm done with that. Well, that wasn't going to be a career though either. That was like a, that was a high school and college job. I was not going. When sticking that one out. Do you see what you have to look forward to, Keith? Twenty years from now, you can, I can tell regale me a story. your stories about how I worked at Hobby Lobby in the frame department. That was that one I knew. You'll have to come up with something. <laughs> no, you'll forget it by then. <laughs> I didn't forget. I did not know he was a cop. I didn't know he was a DJ. I knew he worked in radio. I, sure. I knew you worked in radio, but I didn't know you were a, like yeah, a legit DJ. I didn't know that. I didn't know you were a cop at all. I was a. Well, I wasn't a. Full time paid cop. I was a reserve officer. But. Well, I didn't know that either way. But in Tyrone, Oklahoma, a town of a thousand or fifteen hundred. I didn't know you lived in Tyrone. I didn't Oklahoma. live in Tyrone. I lived in Liberal, and Tyrone but was were, this is about the, fifteen miles across the. Oh, this is the one you used yeah, to sneak yeah. into for. Right, right. Okay. Right. See, I knew part and of that later story, but I didn't know the whole story. story. Yeah. Okay, so the bar has been set. Here. I haven't had as many jobs as well, but this is what I'm telling you. <laughs> or as All many right. careers. DJ, cop. That's pretty darn <laughs> I can't cool. Top that. I worked in You've video got arcade. 20 years to make yeah. something up. I worked in video We're arcade. already like 10 years into our friendship, Sean. Well, you get, you get, <laughs> I got 10 years. You get 10 years to make something <laughs> up. I'll lower the bar. I worked in VR arcade. Do you have anything, anything comparable uh, to target. that? Target. No, make something up. <laughs> All right, I'll come back next did week you, and be you, like, okay, I got this great job I used to did do. Did you know, fresh out of high school, I was a marine biologist? And I'll go, what? <laughs> <laughs> and all you have to do is research one name. <laughs> <laughs> the anthropotic somebody, and I'll go. Well, wow, he you, knows his stuff. And you told him that you were part of the um, design team for the Large Hadron Collider. Yeah, yeah, you didn't know that. I didn't know that either. Yeah, yeah. Higgs bison, bison, you can or bison. Yeah. Boson, that's boson. Now, see, <laughs> that, now, see, I don't believe Higgs it. Boson. <laughs> well, you he didn't research it. No, so. he corrected me because oh, that's he he's knows. smart. <laughs> he's responsible indirectly. I, I mean, he, yeah. he designed the facility, so. I, gave, I, I said, hey, you should make it a circle. <laughs> and they said, that's perfect. A giant donut. <laughs> Keith, the angles just aren't working. What can we do? Smooth them out. Make it round. round them. <laughs> it's got to be big, though. It's got to be big. You know what would be a great place for that? Geneva. <laughs> It's all me. I get no credits. <laughs> okay. <See>? Okay. <laughs> now we've got to set the bar. <laughs> so, true story. You ready for this? Okay. This is what I did this week. All right. <laughs> okay. This is what I did this week. 20 minutes later. I learned things. So we're going to the school part. Back in school. We've done the work thing. Learn things through school. Through Doctor Who. Oh. All, right. All right. So we're sitting in class in French, and one of one of the components is the culture. You know that they're trying to impart some of the French culture, which I'm fine with. I like the culture; it's the language I have huge <laughs> issues with. Language I get hung up on. Um, and she's talking about different areas of, of, of France that we're going to think. And she gets down into this area, and she starts talking about the uh, whatever it was, and then she translates herself and says, "Large Hydrogen Collider." It's where the thing. And I went. Oh, is that the one that crosses over into? Because I'm thinking Torchwood because we just learned about this. Right, right. And is that the one that crosses over the border and it goes and goes under underground and everything? And she looked at me and went, "I don't know." <laughs> oh, 
I'm pretty sure it's the only Large Hadron Collider in the world. <laughs> Sean's feeling pretty smug about himself. I know something the French teacher well, does not Well, what know. scared me is where she was pointing to on the map is still pretty far inland <laughs> from, you know, it's it's in France. Right. It's not on the border. It's in France. And I thought, well, how big is this thing if oh, it goes geez. all the way over it's to the really border? Yeah. So that was kind of like, okay, cool. So then, next class, History of Jazz, because I'm such a bohemian. <laughs> Yeah. You're already jazzed by this time. I'm not jazzed by this time because I'm out of French. <laughs> <laughs> and he, he starts telling us the story of Robert Johnson. And apparently Robert Johnson is this old jazz player. And he started off in uh, New Orleans and he was this kid. He was the annoying neighborhood kid who used to come up to people and hang out and, hey, let me play your instrument. Let me play your guitar. Let me play this. And you handed him the guitar. And he literally could not do anything but make horrible screeching noise with the guitar <laughs> to the point where all the neighborhood musicians just took it away and basically W.C. Fields did Go away, kid. You bother me. Go away. Go away. Nobody would talk to him. Robert Johnson disappeared about 18 for six months. Nobody knew what happened to him. Nobody heard from him. He's just gone off the map. He comes back to New Orleans six months later with his own guitar <laughs> and plays it in a style that nobody's ever heard. Nobody ever It's completely new, right? All the jazz greats in New Orleans are blown away by this 18-year-old kid. And the rumor starts that he sold his soul to the devil oh. for the ability. And all of a sudden, it clicked in my head. That's the guy from the IDW Doctor Who comic we just read. And I was so excited that, once again, Doctor Who got there first. <laughs> it's still serving as an educational show. So it is still an educational show. And I thought about going, I learned about this guy from a comic book. But having just come down from my failure in the Large Hadrogen <laughs> Collider class, I went, uh, I think I'll just sit on that one. So that's what I did this week. Okay, the Large Hadron Collider Hadron. is 27 kilometers or 17 miles in circumference. What did you do this week, Keith? <laughs> well, in preparation for the snow, we rented a bunch of movies and <laughs> we did. hunkered down. Uh, so we watched three movies Okay. in addition to catching up with all the shows. Um First one we watched was Only Lovers Left Alive. I've heard of that. I've Have you heard it. of that one? It's Tilda Swinton and Tom Hiddleston. As oh, we know why they rented that one. <laughs> which I wanted to see it before Sarah was aware of it. And then I told Sarah about it and she saw things online. I was <laughs> she like, said, Tom Hiddleston. I'll watch it. <laughs> <laughs> and I was a little worried because they're vampires. Are you sure? They, yes. <laughs> okay. They are, def they are definitely vampires. The cast in this is incredible. Okay. The fang doesn't come out of their fingers. No, it's, okay. it's actual fangs. Okay. But they, they consist on like a they shot glass. They don't sparkle, do they? No. Okay. They don't go in sunlight. They stay very true to the vampire method. Oh, good. Good, good. Yeah. Uh, but they, can, they subsist only on like a shot glass of blood a day. So they've, they've evolved. I'm fine with that. I mean, you they, you'd have to, and, well, you'd yeah. have to adapt, yeah. And they're they're very concerned about um, diseases and stuff in the blood, so that's kind of a nice approach to it. But they're very. It's the greatest Saturday Night Live skit ever <laughs> when they had George Hamilton on there as a vampire, and before he bit the woman, he was like, "Have you had any operations in the last six months? <laughs> Have you had unprotected sex with anybody? Anything? No, I think I'm okay. All right." And he starts to move in. She goes, "Well, well there was that one time," and he has to back off. <laughs> I'm sorry, I don't mean to interrupt. Go ahead. Uh, but the cast in this is pretty incredible. It's got Anton Yelchin also. I like Anton Yelchin. Uh, John Hurt. Well, uh, John Hurt played Christopher Marlowe. 
The Christopher Marlowe? The Christopher Marlowe. <laughs> so the Christopher Marlowe is really a vampire in this story. Okay. Which is kind of cool. And that's why he had to give his works to Shakespeare. What else did you watch? What was the, uh, what was the second of your The three? second of the three was Begin Again, which we hadn't intended on Begin getting. Begin Again. But I, we just happened across it on the library. It's the um, Mark Ruffalo. These were all very indie films. Mark Ruffalo and Kira Knightley decide to go record an album on the streets of New York. Oh, okay. Yeah. The, the, one of the songs one. was nominated for an Oscar. Okay. Uh, Adam Levine sang it. It's got him in it, too. It was really good. I really liked it. Uh, the music is really good. It doesn't quite do what you expect it to uh, as the movie goes along. And uh, James Corden is in it. Craig? Craig. Oh. In a very likable role. Uh, so, Catherine Keener. Uh, somebody else. I can't remember who. But it was, it was really... I really enjoyed it. And it makes me kind of want to go watch... This director's other musical film, uh, Once. I don't know if you've seen I've that heard one. of that one, too. I've not yeah, seen it. I've heard really good things about it. So I, I would highly recommend it. Okay. It, I really enjoyed it. Uh, and then the third one we watched today was Wish I Was Here. It's another one I've heard of, but only, uh, only peripherally. It's the one that Zach Braff got Kickstarter funding for. Yeah. Where he, he walks around with a change. Yeah, he's got the change jar. He's got the swear jar. The swear jar, that's what it is. (laughs) The movie starts with, uh, he's kind of in this dream sequence, and then his son is asking him questions, which is the kid from Looper. And he he starts cussing at him. (laughs) He's like, I don't effing know. And and they're like, swear jar, can I curse? Just for a minute. And so the kid starts cursing. <laughs> there are a lot of really funny moments Parent on to it. the year award. Yeah. Uh, Mandy Patakin does a great job in it. Uh, Josh Gad does a good job in it. But unfortunately, it's, it's, there are, it's a movie that has great moments. Unfortunately, emotionally, it just doesn't hit the mark for me at least. Uh, Garden State hit me where I lived. Wish I Was Here is very much a story about struggling to be a good parent while still trying to find your dream. And, uh, so not quite, yeah, okay. And, and facing the loss of a parent at the same time. So I, I really wanted it to be Garden State, but it wasn't. But there was a lot of really good moments in it and a lot of really good cameos. That's all we watched. Well, we too buckled down for Snowmageddon. And uh, <laughs> we didn't rent as many movies. Well, we rented one movie. But uh, we actually decided that we were going to get all of our stuff out of the way on Saturday because... Kids had basketball games in the morning, and then we went to lunch. And then in the afternoon, Holly and Caitlin went and finally found a pair of pants for Caitlin's costume for her school play. And then in the evening, we took uh, Caitlin to my mom and dad's, and they went to some one-act plays at the Helen Hawker Theater. And we went to Mason's uh, Cub Scout uh, ceremony, uh, Blue and Gold ceremony. He was awarded uh, his... Uh, bobcat and tiger ranks because he started late as I've mentioned before in the show mm. so he got his bobcat and his tiger, tiger ranks and uh, that was it so we got all that out of the way as the first <laughs> snowfall came in thinking we were going to dodge it all so today was the day for uh, just indoor fun so we started the day cleaning up because we kind of like to you know 
if you're going to be inside all day, you want to be inside a house that looks nice and it's clean and doesn't have clutter everywhere. So we spent about an hour cleaning the living room, the kitchen, everything, getting everything all cleaned up. And then uh, we played Uno all afternoon. And this then... is the game that never <laughs> Was it one game? Uh, well, we played several because we played uh, 200. So we, sco- uh. we played a scoring game. And then uh, we, we had picked up um, – I have to look at my note here because I can't even remember. Alexander and the Terrible, Horrible, No Good, Very Bad Day. I've heard of that one. Yeah. I've not uh, seen based it. Based on the book that Mason says is nothing like the movie. You <laughs> 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 keep asking him questions about it. He says, you know, it, this is really nothing like the book, so, which is fine. Uh, and it was, it was kind of a middle-of-the-road movie. It was, it was fun. It was enjoyable. It was a good family film, so – can't say much more about it than that. Steve Carell's in it, and he's very funny. There's and uh, Jennifer Gardner, and that was it. That was kind of our day. And then the the kids uh, spent the rest of the evening watching Disney Channel. So, on the other hand, we could have gone out because by the time we started even playing Uno, the streets were already melting, so you could drive anywhere <laughs> yeah. you needed to. But we weren't planning on going out today, but we ended up going out. Yeah, we had snacks and everything, you know, for the whole afternoon. We actually went grocery shopping on Friday night, thinking, "Well, just gonna be on the safe side." Um, was that the only movie? You didn't. Only three. Yeah, we didn't. Yeah, we did. I thought I heard you say three. He said three. I said said we didn't rent near as many movies. Uh, (laughs) In fact, we rented one. (laughs) (laughs) I did uh, purchase all the downloadable content available so far for Lego Batman Three and finished it. Oh, you've already finished it too. Yeah. Well, each one, each each pack is one level. Ah. So you get a pack uh, because I bought the season pass. So you get a pack for the 75th anniversary. Uh, you get a pack for the Dark Knight trilogy. Um, That's cool. Yeah, which is pretty neat. Um, Bizarro pack, where all the achievements in that are... You did not complete the level. Arrow, <laughs> which was pretty funny. They had they had got Stephen Amell to right, come I and do the voice. Yeah. And there's a, great, <laughs> there's a great bit where you start because it's playing... You're on the island. Oh, cool. And <laughs> you're in the costume... And then you suddenly hear his voice voice over the screen. And for the continuity nuts, when I like to flashback, sometimes I like to do it in costume. <laughs> so there's a lot of nice little things, even not as a, a huge fan of the show, that yeah. I picked you up on get, and enjoyed. Yeah, that's yeah. Cool. So those were really fun. There's one more still coming, uh, Suicide Squad. Ooh, cool. Yeah. And Man of Steel, that's the other one. Yeah. Where you can play as, you play as Jor-El. I've been watching um, – I had seen the first season or so of uh, Peep Show. It was a Channel 4 British film – or not film, uh, comedy series. And it's all uh, shot point of view. So every time you're seeing a character in the series, you're seeing them from somebody else's point of view. So hmm. when they're talking, when, they're, when, they have, when they have dialogue, they're actually looking at the camera. They're looking directly at the camera at you. And it switches back and forth between point of view. And it's actually really cleverly done. And I had seen huh. it's got uh, David Mitchell and uh, Webb. Um, uh, Mitchell and Webb. Uh, I forget Webb's first name. Kel. No. <laughs> he. No, but I'm counting on Keith to look it up. I'm Googling it. I'm Googling it. Mitchell and Webb. Da- uh, David Mitchell and Robert. Robert Webb. And uh, they're roommates. And it's just the most funny, tragic. <laughs> <laughs> Because they, they're, 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 yeah, uh, no, it's on Hulu. Ah. And uh, their lives just, I mean, it's just, they just have crap lives. It's really bad. But it's hilarious because it's very situational and, and a lot of fun. So I'm up to season six on that. Oh, wow. Yeah. That and I'm fun. about to complete um, the Time War, uh, Time War, uh, Time Worm um, 
tetralogy. It's a it's a quadrology of uh, books. Yeah, I just so you've read the two in a week now. Those. Yeah, I read two this week. So I read and I'm halfway through book the four. last one, book four. Jeez. So um, yeah, I read uh, which well last week when we were recording, I was halfway through Time Worm Exodus, and then I finished it up and moved on to Time Worm Apocalypse. And now I'm halfway through Time Worm Revelation. They're like, they're, they're, Time Worm Apocalypse is only 190 some pages. Oh, wow. So, yeah, they're real short. They're they're quick reads. And um, Time Worm Exodus was was really good. I really thoroughly enjoyed it. It was written by Terrence Dix, and it was real straightforward and more target novelization style of writing, which makes sense because Terrence wrote a lot of those uh, novelizations. And then Time Worm. Apocalypse. I've got to get these straight in my head. Time where Apocalypse was a little more of a. It was about two hundred. Oh, that well, was one hundred ninety uh, pages, and it was it was okay. It was it. So far, it's been my least favorite of the series until the one I'm reading now that Paul Cornell wrote, which I'm really surprised because I think Paul Cornell is a very good writer. In fact, he wrote Human Nature, and hmm. this one's kind of bizarre. I, I'll have to give you more impressions when I finish it uh, next week because. It's it's really bizarre, but anyway, it's it's been a good series. It's all I've, all I've done this week. Well, shall we move on to news? Let's move on to news. Should Let's... we start with maybe the thing that happened Friday? Just uh, it's not Doctor Who related, so we can uh, kind of separate it. We can. Uh, there was some feedback mentioned about it too. Yeah. So, Sean, you want to handle it? Probably not. He's probably yeah, the most well, effective. You, you know what's weird is uh, so, he's still in denial. We, we have um, we have a friend. In the in the in the in the Clontarf uh, group that that uh, that we get and you know constant tweets and group updates and everything like this, and so about eleven o'clock I got this update from my phone and it said Leonard Nimoy just died, and I thought, okay, I ain't sad, but uh, you know he was in poor health. I knew eighty three years old. He was eighty three. He would have been eighty four later this month. Yeah, I knew that he had gone into the hospital for some sort of chest pains and. While when I saw that crop up on Facebook, uh, you know, last week, whenever it was, I kind of had that harbinger feeling, mm-hmm. and I thought, no, he'll be all right. It's okay. You know, this is just just one of those things. <laughs> Thank you. Um, but um, you know, I just I just kind of had that overbearing. It was almost like preparing for it. And strangely enough, uh, Adam, who's another one of, of, of the members, uh, and I told him this later, is that, you know, when, when Adam sends, Adam's the guy that notifies you of the deaths. It was through Adam that I learned about Casey Kasem. It was through Adam that I learned about. Just Adam's the guy that you get the death text from. This came from Julian. I'm glad I don't subscribe <laughs> to Adam's text then. Gosh. Yeah, yeah it's, you know, it's just kind of, you know. <laughs> but because this came from Julian, I had to go look. Oh, no. <laughs> you weren't sure if it was. Yeah, because, you know, it's, it's, it didn't come from Adam. And um, so then they, you know, that uh, was a New York Times. I'm glad you fact-checked your source. Yeah. <laughs> I got a real problem with it. <laughs> <laughs> but New York Times was reporting this. And I was like, oh, okay. So it was official. And um, I was okay. I mean, it, it was bad, but it was, it, was, it was manageable. And I went to work, and, you know, Matt kind of gave me that look he knew. You know, you okay? It's like, yeah, I'm all right. He says, well, we're going to do this. And he hands me the, you know, in memoriam sign for the, the end cap display that we're, we have to set up. And he's like, can you handle that? I was like, yeah, yeah, I'm on this. 
And uh, so I'm standing there, and then Heather comes running up to me, and she's our comic manager. And she says, how you doing? And she's got a big smile, a big bright face and everything. And just wordlessly, I just held up the, the sign. And her smile got bigger because she thought we were doing something cool with Star Trek and Spock and, you know. Um. And I couldn't say anything. I just stood there holding this. And she looked at me and looked back at the sign and then read it. And to watch her face go from this to this and everything just washed over the shock, the disbelief, the no, I, you know, that's when it hit me mm. was, was seeing somebody else's reaction to it. And the day sucked. Yeah. Just, yeah. just from that point on, it was, uh, you know, and I'm sure there were probably some customers that I was really, really grouchy with. If you're listening, I apologize. It was an off day for me. Um, but yeah, it just, uh, just afterward, it just, it just was, I mean, it was, and I'm, I'm one of those glutton for punishment news hounds when stuff like this happens. And, you know, I go through Facebook and I read everybody's posts and see how people are, remembering how are other them. people remembering him? And then all the picture memes started up with empty chairs and, mm-hmm. you know, here, here, here's a room full of people. And then here's just Kirk. Cause he's the only one from yeah. that room that's still around. And it just, yeah, it got worse and worse and worse and worse and worse as the day went on. And, uh, I liked how Matt, uh, friend of the show, Slugcast Matt, uh, remembered him with posting the ballad of Bobo. Yeah. Yeah. I duck Phil did that too. Cause you know, his ability to make us laugh, yeah. you know, is, is and, it's you important know, to remember in those sad times. It is. And, um, you know, I mean, obviously he leaves behind such a huge legacy and such a huge, and, and you know, I, I think President Obama actually said it best when he said, you know, before geek was cool, there was Leonard Nimoy. Yeah. yeah. And that's that's so true. I mean, I got hit really hard when Harold Ramos died for a lot of the same reasons because he was his was the, you know, his was the scientist geek mm-hmm. and his was his was what made that kind of cool. But Spock was here first, you know, and there was so much about, I mean, obviously he's Spock. But, I mean, you look at Mission Impossible, you look at his directing career, you look at his photography, you look at his poetry, you look at Bilbo Baggins, you look at all the stuff that he's done. And, yes, I do own the Mr. Spock's Music from Outer Space, Leonard Nimoy CD. Hmm. I do have that. <laughs> um, but, yeah, it was just, you know, it's just, yeah, it's just, it just sucks. And I don't, I don't know, there's, I'm, I'm sure, and his last tweet um, oh. was just heartbreaking in of itself yeah. and uh, which I don't have pulled up so I can't recite it now probably best if I don't <laughs> <laughs> um, and I'm sure that you know he's somewhere having a laugh over you know well, you guys all this is just a part of it this is just this is the way the world works you know and you know it's 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 great that he touched so many people in so many positive ways and so that's what we should really you know really come down on and be focusing and that's that's what you tell yourself well i'm going to celebrate this and i'm going to do this oh, and, yeah and then an hour later it's like man <laughs> <laughs> so but the, the the silver lining for me is my free enterprise moment <laughs> the alamo draft house has announced that they're doing a showing of star trek to the wrath of khan every alamo draft house yeah on my birthday on March 15th, and we will already be in Kansas City wrapping up Planet Comic Con, and I'm going to go see Rathacon on the big screen. 
and I probably will be inconsolable afterwards and go, why did I do that? This was a horrible idea. But, you know. And so I'm going to have a free enterprise moment, March 15th. I'm going to go see Rathicon on the big screen on my birthday. Cool. All right. Well, let's move into some news of the week. Some more bad news. Sad Doctor Who news of the week. Uh, veteran designer Barry Newberry has passed away at the age of 88. Uh, his contribution ranged from the very first story all the way to The Awakening in 84. And a total of 62 episodes across 14 stories. Um, some of the kind of touchstones of his work include Marco Polo, the Aztecs. Uh, he helped design the city in the Aztecs. Um... Saxton, England, and the Time Meddler. He also worked on Dalek's Master Plan, Gunfighters, Dominators, uh, his only third Doctor story, The Silurians. Uh, three fourth Doctor stories, which we've reviewed two of, Brain of Morbius, Mask of Mad- Mandraga, and The Invisible Enemy. And then his final credit for who came in The Awakening. So he certainly left his mark on uh, and many marks. the Doctor Who universe, so... Invisible Enemy. Oh, don't roll your eyes at me. You know I love that one. <laughs> the design and, in that is great. I, I think the design in that the is design great. design in that's good. And that's all of yep. the, you know, I'll give him credit for that. And the spaceships, it's all him. I'll yeah. give him credit for that. You should. You absolutely should. So our thoughts go out to his family and all the other Who community people who are mourning. Some other happy but questionable news. <laughs> Oh, I like this one. What are we getting? <laughs> so, BBC hasn't announced it yet, but Warner Brothers, the distributor in the U.S., has created an Amazon pre-order listing that on May 19th, they will release a DVD set called The Cybermen. Oh, that one. <laughs> we don't know what's on this disc, other than one of the special features includes Earthshock. Episodes one through four. And a brand new documentary chronicling the creation of the monsters. So the good news that really comes out of this is because Earthshock in and of itself is unavailable right now. It's one of those that has been pulled from the market. On moratorium. But you can go buy the uh, fifth, sixth, seventh, and eighth Doctor's Remembrance. Revisited. Revisited set and get Earthshock as a special feature for the Fifth Doctor. And now you can go by the Cybermen box and get Earthshock as a special feature. So it's still out there and available. It's available if you want to have to buy this other stuff too. Uh, the price point on it so far is twenty four ninety eight. I'm 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 actually just livid about this because I love Earthshock is a story. I want to own it on DVD. I missed it the first time around. Me too. <laughs> and now new copies of it are upwards of $600 because it's on moratorium and unavailable. And used, and used copies like- are $75. That's really? the cheapest I could find for a used copy. It, it, this is absolutely ridiculous. Now, I understand how the market works and demand and, uh, you know, but I really had been hoping that because it was on more time, it would be re- released as a special edition because it's such a pentacle it story. Uh, the revisited. And I thought when it came out as a revisited that it would drive the market down 
the the price of the uh, mm. DVD down for the older copy, and it didn't. And so I'm hoping beyond hope that this will do the same thing, that it will hopefully push that, pos- that price point down. Because I would buy a used copy of Earthshock. I would much prefer the BBC to re-release it as its own DVD, special <laughs> edition or not, at least give fans the chance. Don't use it as a gimmick. That's what they've done with Doctors Revisited. Which it was a, a little. I'm a little more okay with it because well, they picked even, a story because they were packaging it in such a way. But and when even, you do it as a Cyberman special box set, which I'm going to get a whole bunch of stuff I already own, just because they're going to try to rope me into buying it so that I can get Earthshock, and so it's just it's a money grab, and it just drives me nuts. Oh, and I'm willing that to they bet do that, that. The, the the other part of the Cyberman is probably going to be just a handful of select episodes from the new series. That's well, exactly what it'll be. In series, fact, the, the, the cover art ones. that we can see for it, if in fact this is going to be the cover art, is new si- series Cyberman. Well, it's, it's newest specifically, series Cyberman. Yeah. 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 And that's what I think will be on there is the two-part so, Death in Heaven. Um, I understand how marketing works, and I know that they're doing this yeah. to capture people that aren't ready to commit to buying an entire series, but they do enjoy Cyberman stories. And so it's a benefit for those people, but it's really detrimental to those of us fans that would just want to own a copy of Earthshock and have that and not have it be a special feature. So it's, it'd be, it's, it'd be we'll, kind of like taking the new, the beginnings box set off the shelves and putting that in moratorium because it's on uh, an adventure in space and time. It exactly. doesn't make sense. Yeah. Well, they didn't pull Earthshock because it was coming out, but it's, it was pulled before it, it was reissued. Well, I'm sure it was pulled yeah. for the fact that it was going to be part of the Doctors Revisited. I'm sure that's what it was. Yeah, because it went on moratorium not long before that happened. So I just – I really hope that it will at least drive the prices down. Now, there are two possibilities of getting it on DVD. Now on Blu-ray, presumably. No, this one's only DVD. Well, I, I, I presume – that they probably will have I – mean, we, because we know very little about this because all we know is, is that it's a list. listing on the pre yeah. on Amazon. And those are usually very, very you know, bare small, bare bones. So uh, hopefully that – I mean because I know they're trying to – I, 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 I've, I've half suspected that eventually they will go back and remaster a lot of the classic series and make them season by season available on DVD or on Blu-ray. I, I just presume that's the direction they will eventually go with it. It makes it. sense. But, well, sure, they could do it. Just, I thought it was. Why, why is it not possible to do that? I thought the, the, the way it was filmed, the format. No, 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 no. I'm not saying high definition. The, the I'm just remastering. I think the thing that, okay. we, the thing okay, that we do is we, we, pres- we automatically equate Blu-ray to high definition. And I think that's the problem the with the market. That's the problem. It's the high data. You can put more on a Blu-ray than you can a DVD. And so that's why it's suitable to putting seasons of Doctor Who out as one chunk and selling them that way because you have a lot more room on a disc. It's not going to be any – well, it'll upconvert a bit. But it's not going to be much better quality yeah, than okay. what it's I originally saying, shot yeah. in. But that's where movie companies need to come in. Now – God bless them if they upconvert them and they clean them up and make them look good on on Blu-ray. But the the aspect of it is is the high capacity. That's where Blu-ray really needs to be embraced, and it's not because people are automatically equating Blu-ray with high definition, and that's not just what that's that's one of the benefits of Blu-ray. That's why you can put high definition on Blu-ray because you have a larger capacity. You can put that data and information on there. 
but you also have the benefit of having more room. Does it seem strange? Maybe you know the answer to this. Is it because they're eating up that extra room with a higher quality, high yeah, definition that's, picture that's why, yeah. that when you get a television show on Blu-ray and uh, I'll pick something simple like Archer, you know, it's animated and it's 13 episodes and it still takes up two Blu-ray discs. Archer's already shot in high definition though. So that's why it's taking up that. So it is because of the, uh-huh. the quality yeah, levels. Yeah, yeah. Well, quality even level. like Big Bang, I think a full 22-episode season, the most recent one, was only on two discs. But say you have other shows in like, oh, I'm going to pick on I, I, I think Game it, of Thrones. I think it depends on the company. <laughs> that still has a five-disc set. I think they like, spread them out to, so they can charge Well, them. I think so, thing, too. Things like Game, Game of Thrones, though, they're, they're also adding a lot of, because they are able to, they're adding a lot of behind-the-scenes, a lot of content. You'll find a season of something, Archer's a bad example, but let's say WKRP, when, when it comes out on Blu-ray, it probably will have very few extras because they will try to get as many DVDs, how many, how many episodes on as, as few DVDs as they possibly can. And they will just put a few extras on there. Whereas something like Game of Thrones, which is hugely popular now, and people are going to want more out of that than just the straight episodes, they're going to utilize the room for you know, bonuses. So being that Doctor Who is not, not in high definition with the way it's filmed and created – if we went back and saw, okay, uh, you know, here's, here's all of season 16, 17, whichever one is. What, what are you guys so excited about from robot to which season is that? Tom season Bates, 20. Which, oh, it's not no, that it's late. Not, not it's not a late. teen. Yeah, I think it's 16. No, tw- oh, I mean, yeah, I'm sorry. 26 was the last season, yeah. so it can't be yeah, that. It's yeah, that it's late. Uh, season 17. You're right. 17. Yeah. 17 okay. or 16? Oh, it's 16. Yeah, 16. Sorry. 16. Okay, 16. so here's season 16 on Blu-ray, and you get robot through. Nope, uh, oh, that's not right. It's not 16. Season 14, I think. It's an even number. Must be 14, then, because it... Nope. Nope. It must be season 12. Yeah. This is riveting. Season 12. Okay, so here's season 12, and you get Robot through Revenge of the Cybermen, Uh that whole arc. And you're going to get the original theatrical, the original broadcast version, and you're going to get the new, hey, we put these new special effects... You know, ones that have have come out on some of these special editions. So you're getting two versions of, of each one. Likely not. And well, they did it with Star Trek. Likely not, though, because they they could they could They're go that, that route. way on DVD. They could go that route. Well, they do do that on DVD, but. I think what they're going to find is if they're either going to market these as Blu-rays individually and put all of the additionals that we get on no, DVDs, or they're going to strip them down and just give you seasons of it, which is what I think they're going to be able to sell because they're going to have to mark the, the, the selling point is going to have to go higher because it is on Blu-ray. But they're but also going re-packaged? to have to they're also going to have to strip it away so that they can keep that price point down because if you start to add all of the stuff on there. That they have on the on the DVDs, then the cost of that's going to go up. And so yeah, I, I, I would think, think it wouldn't. I don't. I don't created. see them. I don't see them doubling up. Here's what I see them doing. I see them only putting the special editions on there and calling that good because they've already been vid fired. They've already been cleaned. They are going to have a higher appeal to a new series viewer that's going to decide. Well, maybe I'll delve back into some of the classic series. It's going to placate the classic series viewers because they're going to get their classic Doctor Who. But you're going to find that you're going to see, you know, a, a standard episode that they didn't do a special edition, and then they're going to have a special edition episode of the next story because it, it's available. I think that's where you're going to see them doing it, and it'll be purely a money aspect. It won't be anything to do with 
pleasing fans See, I can, I, of the I, show. Unfortunately, I, mean, I can see because the think, sad reality of it was it Battlestar. They just re- reissued the original Battlestar Galactica, or they announced that they're going to reissue oh, the original yeah, Battlestar Galactica yeah. on Blu-ray for the first time. But it's a stripped-down version of it, and there, there's a petition where it's like, why can't we have this bonus features that were on the DVD set? Because I'd upconvert if it wasn't for that. Um, and you know, people are very kind it of all has touchy to do, about it. It all has to do with the price point. Yeah. It all has to do with. The, the the people that are most vocal about it are the people that want it, but unfortunately, in, in all reality, that's a small chunk of who they're going to cater to. They know that if they're going to pick up the casual fan that will buy it because it's cheap enough to have that entire season, they're going to strip that away and I suppose sell that's it true. They've got to work if you announced a if you announced a full blown. Because I have. Most of them now <laughs> on DVD. But if you announced we're going to put it out on Blu-ray, I'd be like, eh, okay, I already have them on DVD. But if you said, oh, we're going to give you this, 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 and this, I'd be like, okay, I would up convert for that, you yep. know. But there would have to be a real reason for me to do that. And unfortunately, even, even there's as a, a hardcore fan. Unfortunately, that's a small percentage of people that would do that. And they're trying to capture the the largest chunk get, of audience as possible. Yeah. So, so you're looking at it more. You think it'll be from more of the standpoint of the the. New Who fans that might go, oh, this is now an affordable way for me to go back and get a large chunk that's a of chunk, classic. That's a chunk of what they're targeting because again, they're going to target the new Who or the classic Who fans that haven't spent, you know, hundreds of dollars already on their. Collection. <laughs> oh, don't remind me. <laughs> Multiple hundreds of dollars on their collection and are looking for all of that same content. If you look at the uh, Spearhead in Space, there's there's a good example because it has a DVD release and it has a Blu-ray release and it goes along the lines of what Keith was talking about. The reason they chose they to do a Blu-ray release is because they could use that one because it was already shot on film 100%. And so there was no up conversion because all you do is transfer the film, polish it up a little bit, you've already got a high-def-ready version without doing a lot of tampering. Yeah. They still have to have converted, but there's not as much tampering that needs to be done. But if you look at it, the DVD version of it has different special edition or has special really? bonuses than the, yeah, than the Blu-ray version. I did does. not so notice that. that. I think that was a failure on their part. I think they had the opportunity to put everything that came with uh, the DVD and add the special stuff Along with everything that came on the DVD. Well, that was my complaint about the Star Wars but again, saga. They're also they realizing the same set of special. They features. were also realizing that they had to put the Blu-ray version at a higher price point than they did the DVD, and so they automatically started pulling stuff out to bring that price point down, so that it was at least closer to the price of the DVD. Gotcha. So, it, it all, unfortunately, mm-hmm. it all comes down to money. In a, in a perfect world, we would get all of this wonderful content that we as fans absolutely want and feel we need unfortunately from a business side of it they're looking for the biggest chunk of audience and they they're they're looking at dollars and they're trying they're looking at at products sold and so they're going to compromise on the best way to get a large number of people buying this as opposed to appeasing fans that are only going to be a small share of that marketplace yeah i can see that see i can i can almost see it more moving away from discs and doing it all digitally I think that, well, that's what I the think, experiment was with um, Web of Fear and Enemy of the World. Yeah. And fortunately for them, unfortunately for us, fortunately for them, that, was, that worked. Yeah. And I, I think you're right, Keith. I think that they're probably – because you can already get a lot of the classic series 
digitally through iTunes. Yeah. There's a good chunk of catalog out there now. And I think that that's what they're doing now is they're trying to figure out how to maneuver Transition away from that. Because the overhead for them, that cuts a huge overhead. Oh, yeah, they get because, a lot more profit that yeah, way. And unfortunately, they can charge less too. The, 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 the de- to the detriment of the fans, a lot of that is stripped down. You don't get a lot of the bonus material. Yeah, I heard, but, a, I heard an interview saying they he they about that stuff, and he knew knew that some companies were able to include bonus features and others weren't. So they were trying to figure happens. it out. Yeah, yeah, that happens. Even with, uh, I'm still buying a lot of the um, Marvel Universe stuff on Blu-ray because, uh, fortunately, iTunes is really good about giving you a good chunk of extras, and you get mm-hmm. the best of the special uh, bonus material. The but you shots. don't get all of it. You don't get all of it. And uh, so there, uh, right now the the... Entertainment world is is walking the line to see where they can land and, and make the most money out of it without having too much overhead. So that's where we're, we're unfortunately we're in that world right now, and and they've got to work that out, figure that out for themselves. So anyway, no Earth Talk on DVD still, <laughs> unfortunately. You know what else isn't out on DVD? <laughs> the Underwater Menace. So there's been a petition started. Well, let's let's talk a little bit about that first because they announced Underwater Menace nearly two years ago. For those of you that didn't know, yeah, they were going to animate the missing episodes. The Moonbase DVD. There was and a trailer. There was a trailer for it on the Moonbase. And then later they pulled that from their schedule, and their reasoning for that was because they didn't want to overwhelm their calendar for that year, for the next year, the year that it was supposed to come out, 2014. And so what they Which did is, is they weird, paced it out. Which is weird because there wasn't much out last and year. And they, they pulled it out. Well, we, well there's a lot of There was a lot of reissues. stuff. Because, a lot of reissues. But we were coming on the heels of um, the 50th oh, anniversary as well. And they knew that there was a lot of pockets that they were feeling with that. So unfortunately what happened is Underwater Menace got bumped. It didn't officially get removed, but it got bumped. And so then there was this unclarity for an entire year of, well, where's Underwater Menace? You've already given us a, a trailer for it. You've said it's coming. And you gave us this excuse that we've bumped it from the schedule because we didn't want to oversaturate our calendar. They've done nearly all the work on it already. So they went silent for a lot at the end of last year. And then just weeks ago, at Galley, actually. they finally said that they were going to be releasing it on DVD because they had a slot for it in their um, schedule. And then now, unfortunately, as of recent... There's suddenly been silence. They've gone radio silent on this, and there's a lot of concern because it's been pulled from a lot of the pre-order stuff that was out there. It's 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 disappeared from there as well, and so there's been some speculation that we may be on a hiatus on that as well. And there was a ambiguous uh, email from BBC Worldwide that I don't remember. I'm, I'm going to paraphrase it, but in a way, it sort of pointed to the fact that it was on indefinite hiatus right now. Mm-hmm. So that is what has sparked what Keith's going to talk about. Sorry. Uh, yeah, I no, we fine. needed some setup. Good, good backstory. Uh, there's a petition on change.org to uh, get the BBC to release it on DVD. I have signed that petition. I have too. I have not. You don't Why? want it? No, I do want it. I want it very You just badly. want them to wait until they get the... Uh, I, Mega <laughs> I I'm gonna episodes. I'm gonna throw this out there. I I applaud the the guy who started this petition and because and and he's he's very much in the right by saying this isn't a we demand this kind of thing. It's just a hey, can at the very least can you tell us for sure is it still coming? Is it coming back on the schedule? He's asking people to write very politely to the BBC, you know, and show interest that yes, we want to own this. And yes, I do want to own the Underwater Menace. Absolutely. 
But I wonder, I cannot help but wonder, because I'm me, is maybe the reasoning that it's been pulled or indefinitely delayed because maybe somebody at BBC Worldwide thought there was some truth to the Omni rumor <laughs> and that some of these lost episodes had been found. And they thought, you know what, let's not rush into this and release a product with these animated segments and then find out, oh, yeah, we've got the rest of it. I can understand that. That's a totally justifiable business decision to not go back and double dip. Well, on and that. so then they would also go radio silence if they had it and didn't want to mention it. Or if they thought that by mentioning it was going to suddenly, you know, hey, you've got to fork these episodes over because we've got a production deadline to meet over here and well, you know, well that's yeah. going to drive the cost up. There's all kinds of things that you don't rock the boat on those kinds of negotiations. And so by going radio silent, that all plays into that. Now, I'm not saying that they found it. I'm not saying that they have it. I'm just saying that I think that's a plausible reason that fits the scenario that we've been presented with. Is it true? I don't know. I really don't know. I hope it is, but you know, I, I'm, I'm also still of the firm opinion that if you give me a DVD that has what you found and has the animated segments, I'm going to watch those too. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I don't care. Let's go back and animate all 50 years of Doctor Who. I'm for it. Why not? Wish then I give could. me a colorized version. Okay. I, I, I will could. watch it. I wish I could crawl inside your brain and live in your fantasy land. Oh, it's so nice. <laughs> <laughs> we have cookies. I'm... I'm not even going to address it because I know the, you're not the Omni rumor to me is is a dead, it's dead beaten more. horse. But even if it's not the Omni rumor, even if it's just that there's a possibility that that's one of the chunks, even if they only found one of the two missing episodes, maybe that's something that is still lingering out there, and so they've been put into this state of. Uh, well, and it sounds like the DVD's all ready to go. They just need. The, the audio guy needs to remaster the audio. Yeah, I think, it. it's, I think it's a wishful. I think that's a wishful notion. Oh, yeah. I'm sure it is. I'm I sure it is. I think that but... ultimately, I think what would happen, and I know you made a good argument for the business aspect of that, but I also think that if you've got something ready to go out the door, you put it out the door because you've spent a lot of money already. So let's recoup some of that cost, and then two years down the line, let's release it again as a special edition with the animation and with the episodes. Now, I know that you you walk into an area of possibly alienating fans doing that because then you get the reverse effect of what we had with Enemy of the World and Web of Fear, where a lot of people were very upset with a vanilla issue following on the heels of buying it, as I did, a digital copy. I still haven't bought the DVDs for either of those two stories because I already own what I can get on DVD. And so it you, you run into that, we've double-dipped, which is what it feels like. On the other hand, I think that if you've already got it there ready to go out the door, you put it out the door and you make your money on it from a business standpoint. I think it, I think it, it's detrimental to hold on to something like that, especially when you have fans clamoring for it enough to, to, to derive but, but, a position well, Especially for when it. you've pretty much stopped all classic who releases. Yeah. If that would have been the last one, it would have made sense. That but certainly again, throws a monkey into the – or a spanner into the and I, again, I'm, not, I'm, not saying, I'm not saying for sure, but if – these episodes are in any way, shape, or form tied into any kind of current negotiation. If somebody has them and is negotiating with anybody at BBC about returning them, for the BBC worldwide end to turn around and capitalize on this same material and put it out there 
is going to give the person doing the bargaining on who, who owns these episodes the chance to go, oh, well, look, you sold blah, blah, blah units of this. So there's obviously demand for it. Now I want this much money. Or I can argue the other side of that. It could, it could go I the other way. I can argue the other side but of I that. Don't think because BBC if you put, put it out and you make it available, I think you, you've put the ball in your court as the supplier. You've put the ball in your court. Well, we're going to put it out anyway. And so what it does is it drives the demand for the product that is still out there that they're negotiating for. It drives that demand down, and it makes the BBC be in the position to say, we already have this out there. We don't really need what you've got because all of that's playing all right, behind but nobody the scenes. believes that. Well, but I, I think that I think that I where mean, I think where the BBC has it, it now is a year and a half ago when the Omni rumor came out, you had people clamoring and wanting it so bad that a majority of fans believed it was true. Yeah. I think this thing has now played itself out so much that it's been it's now a beaten dead horse. There's just only a small percentage of fans that even think that's true. Yeah, we only know you're in that. <laughs> so I think the BBC now has the upper hand. And if they put it out and then they do in turn are able to negotiate a lower price and get it and put it out later, I don't think that a person that is holding this has any sort of – I think suddenly their leverage goes way down. And I, I, think, I disagree. I, I think, think it's a flip. I think it, it – it, not just for the reason that I illustrated, but if, if the BBC comes out with it and says, well, we've already got it and here we're releasing it, that is playing hardball. And that's really kind of saying you've got something that, yeah, we're interested in, but, you know, eh. When everybody knows that's really not the case. Everybody knows that these are the holy See? grail of missing TV episodes when it comes to the fans. BBC has to respect part of that. I would have they agree- can't give up the ghost altogether and say, we're not no. looking for Doctor Who anymore. I would have agreed with, no, I would have agreed with that a year ago when, <laughs> when <laughs> Underwater Menace was coming out. And they pulled it back, and that was the speculation. Exactly oh, what you're like saying. When... Exactly what you're saying is was the speculation then. Now a year on, the majority of fans don't believe that rumor, and when it comes out, if it came out, that would pl- placate any of that omni rumor. Yeah, it yeah. would help Since it to rest. It's out there, it would put it to rest, and I, I, I disagree. I think from a but that's from that's a just it. That that's, that to me is the, is the key. Is you're right. It would put the rumors to rest, but they haven't done it. Which leads me back to thinking that maybe some part of that is true. And like I said, I, I'm, fr- I'm, fr- I'm freely willing to admit, 100% admit, yeah, it's wishful thinking. Yeah, I want to believe it. But there's just enough uh, that I'm going to go, okay, you know what? This is how I'm going to choose to interpret these facts. Well, and I wonder if, if I remember correctly, from the Radio Free Scarrow interview with the remastering guy... Um, Sounds like a lot of people over at the BBC Worldwide that they were dealing with it's completely new people. So I wonder if it's just a turnover thing. Yeah, a turnover thing, and then this is what fell through the cracks because of the turnover. That could be. It could be something that's very what, that's mundane. That's what I, I think is becoming. That's what I think is happening here. Well, and I, I certainly think based on that information, and then people, maybe unfortunately, what happens is the new would, blood is probably more focused on new series, which is why and that's why everything's so getting released. pushed off, and that's yeah. why there's very little classic in the works now, anyway. And the, and the so. new blood thing, so classic series isn't going to bring. Or looking, it'll unfortunately maybe they're looking at the numbers and seeing classic series didn't bring in as much money as yeah. the new series is, and I'm sure that's probably. A good chunk of the case, or could be a good chunk of the case. It'll be funny. It'll be very humorous if we're we we go on this whole twenty minutes. We've talked about this now, and next <laughs> week really they release that. <laughs> it's coming out on DVD next month. <laughs> It'll be all for naught. I, I, I will. I will run out and buy it. All right, let's move on to feedback. No. no.
Oh. Up no. next is it's, our legacy oh. tip, tip of the week. Okay, uh, Eric says, not everyone realizes this, but it's possible to move gems diagonally. It can be tricky to pull off, so if you're lucky, it'll waste time if you are doing it on a normal board. But if you find yourself with a board that's half-locked and immovable, say from Cybermen, try it out if you would otherwise be unable to make a match. I did not know that. I've accidentally done it a couple of times, <laughs> rushing to get over to the last part of my combo that's going to make it, and all of a sudden I have it go in the wrong place. I go, what? How did it? Because uh, <laughs> you hit that lock and it skips over it, and oh, it, yeah, it does yeah. a weird boop down into the corner. It's like okay. So that's your Doctor Who legacy. Well, my 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 tip is oh, that so I, I, got I, everybody, everybody's got tips this week. But hey, you know, I'll just take a few weeks off. <laughs> we, we've talked. This is what happens when we are still playing and you're yeah, 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 you're up on <laughs> the thing. I'm at the point now where I'm logging in to get the login bonus every day, and that's then just it. doing. Well, no, I'll play a few uh, fan levels to knock to uh, bulk up some of my team team members. This is absolutely positively the best time to play the fan area because. Not only are you getting 150 experience, but now that they've added the farming levels, you're getting 150 experience while you farm for time. The, so the farm, farming levels are in the fan area, right? They are in the fan are area. they labeled farming? Yep. So I've just been working my way up. Then you'll get there eventually. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> Probably not by the time the uh, well, times get, 150 experience. Get, get, get uh, if you're stepping through them, I would recommend if you're needing to farm to go ahead Fragment and skip hunt. up to them, to the fragments, because... Um, right now, I'm not needing them because so I'm Sean's okay. right. You're I'm working. I'm working those, through getting crystals and now there's uh, there's still characters a, like the a bare minimum of experience yeah, that experience, you get on those farm experience levels. Experience is really really low. Oh, okay. it's, it's like so I, I'm I, not going to worry about. Well, it. I checked. I'm, I'm more worried about experience. You get eighteen thousand experience in a farming level and up to five fragments of any particular type. But you can play the Jenny level and get thirty three thousand experience. So there's a fairly substantial right now while we're in while while we're in this 100. this hundred fifty. So if if you're just looking for do this. Hey, you know, come over here and, and, and go to the Jenny level and get the. Bu- 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 so what, and, uh, I just pulled my. I'm in a game right now. So the Jenny level is called the, what? It's, it's just it's called, called Jenny. Jenny. Okay. And it's one stage, and you get 33,000 experience during the 150. I think it's 33.5. 33, yeah, it's 33 plus. And uh, you <laughs> get that much experience for it for being one level, which is great. But you use that, you build, bulk up all your, your minor level characters. Get them up to that level forty, then go hang out and farm for time crystal. So uh, that 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 that's definitely you know, it's a good way to do it. A good way to do it, and because I've been leveling up all these additional characters that I unlocked now, apparently my volume is still up on that. <laughs> this is the part of the show where we say we're not going to play Legacy on the show, and then we do. All right, so that's your Doctor Who Legacy tip of the week. <laughs> Tips of the week. All right, now should we move on to feedback? Yes. Robots of Sherwood. First up in feedback, Mark sent in some audio. Let's give a listen. Hey, guys. Um, that was very camp, wasn't it? I'm probably cut that bit out if I can. Anyway, uh, take two. Well, see, I would start again, but there's a genuinely take five of this feedback because I keep messing up. I think take four was just me starting coughing and then immediately stopping the recording again. Just, it's, I don't know why it's so nerd wreck, nerd wreck, you see, I can't speak. I'm on, just give up. I'm going with this take, so I apologize if it's damn awful. 
Anyway, I haven't been listening to your show for a while because I started university in October. So, uh, you know, I've been busy, or college, as you like call it over there. Um, but recently I've started catching up and the quality is as good and tangential as ever. But... <coughs> Sorry, there's a cough. That's the cough that stopped Take 4 from hitting her off. That could have been the right one, the perfect one. Unlike the shambles, we are one minute in and I haven't said whatever I wanted to say. Anyway... Um, I actually haven't watched Doctor Who since Christmas, I think. I stopped reviewing the episodes on my blog around The Caretaker, which I think was episode 6. Kill the Moon was episode 7 of season 8, I think. Anyway, I just thought to drop in and say hello and let you guys know that I am still alive and, you know, missing you all. You know, missing the Friday Night Who's and the episodes every week. But very, very slowly, I am catching up. In between bits of reading and stuff. I'm doing literature at college. See, I got used to calling it college. I'm going all American. There's actually a program in our uni where I could go over to, I think it's just outside New York, and do like, go to a college there. I'm not sure which one it is. You know, for a semester, I think you guys call it. But that's going to cost an awful lot of money, so it may or may not happen. But anyway... I don't know what I am talking about. Um, I think I might just call it a day. Yeah, this is a good piece of feedback, isn't it? It's nice, quaint. Um, it might be a nice addition to the show, or I might just need to apologise to everyone listening to this. Anyway, Keith, Sean, Glenn, and your significant others. Uh, what are their names? Hey, what, what are the... Holly, Holly's one. Sarah, I think, is one. And and my and my favourite one of your significant others, who's who I don't need to name. You you know you know her. I I you know you know. Anyway, um, have a wonderful. What well, holidays coming up? It's it's near July, Fourth of July. Have a wonderful Fourth of July. I think that's the closest holiday. Easter? Why didn't I think of that? Fourth of July. Um. So have a happy Easter, and I will speak to you guys some other time. Goodbye. Just how do I stop the recording? Um. There. Best audio feedback <laughs> ever. <laughs> <laughs> my, my favorite significant other. I don't even have to. I don't even have to say. It. I can apologize in the in the written part. Of it. He's like, um, I recorded several. This one turned out the best. The reason why I'm not happy about it is because I forgot one of the names of one of your partners, and I tried to substitute this by sarcastically saying, "I don't need to name her," and it sounds slightly dismissive. It wasn't. I was just panicking. <laughs> Because of the slip-up, I was tempted not to send it in. <laughs> but as long as you know I was joking about it, then I was good. <laughs> oh, Mark. <laughs> <laughs> you never cease to entertain. That was so good. <laughs> Thank you, Mark. Thanks, Mark. <laughs> Oh, that was so good. <laughs>
<laughs> we should end it on that one. <laughs> I try not to listen to them in advance, so I, I, I can give an honest reaction to them. And if I would have listened to that in advance, I would have said that one. <laughs> he has a good grasp on the uh, vernacular here too. At <laughs> university's college and I'm, semester, I'm, coming over for semester. I've He's coming here uh, for a semester. Is that what he said? He, he, he went, what to? He possibly like New York. Oh, area. New York. That's way too far away from <laughs> us. <laughs> that's nowhere near us. <laughs> that's like I don't know the distance of, from the UK to Australia or something. You know, it's <laughs> 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 that's like from the UK to France. No, it's more no, than that. No, I don't know. <laughs> well, once again, proving we don't own a globe. <laughs> Mark, I have a couch. Moscow, perhaps. <laughs> from, from from London to Moscow, that might be the that might be the best. <laughs> I have a couch. You're welcome to sleep. Or no, excuse me. I have a sofa that you're welcome to uh, <laughs> to, to, to rack out on if you want to launch to come to university. I've decided I'm not going to college anymore. I'm going to university. He can you stay at your apartment you or your flat. My flat. Rather. You can stay at my flat. <laughs> I guess Keith's – you've got a townhome. He's got a flat. I've got a flat. Yeah, he's got a flat. <laughs> you can stay at Keith's flat if we've got the right vernacular there. There's no lift at his flat. <laughs> there is not a lift. You've got to take the stairs. There's no lift. And there's only a sofa because it's a one-bedroom apartment. One-bedroom flat. flat. Sorry. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, uh, well, uh, I'll tell you what. Mark, if you make it to New York – we will figure out a way to come visit you. Let's do that. He will meet him. Ha- we're meeting him halfway. We'll meet halfway. Yeah, yeah, that's doable. I've got a sister that's almost that's halfway. Quite a lot less than halfway, though, because that's still a distance. But <laughs> we'll meet him there. Yeah, we'll, 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 we'll meet figure him something out. Some one of us, at least one of at us, will come meet <laughs> now, you. Now, now, we're, <laughs> now we're getting down to the nitty gritty of it. Now we're getting. Sean will meet you in New York because <laughs> I have all. This, I have expendable income. <laughs> I'd love to go back to New York. Uh, me too. I, I've only been there once. Sarah's never been, so we'll go to LI Who. Yeah, that'd be all right. Yeah, yeah. or LI Geek. You should. You that's, should. That's providing he's here in the fall <laughs> for <laughs> well, a fall semester. That's, that's when the semester starts. Yeah. You t- you you should totally come all the way to America to go to a Doctor Who convention. <laughs> <laughs> hey, we host some of the best here. <gasps> all right. <laughs> Thanks, Mark. Next up in feedback, Eric. Eric writes, filler feedback. Hi, Mel. Oh, wait. Late again. (laughs) (laughs) I wanted to make sure you didn't get a repeat of last month's Beyond the Doctor review and have no one write in, so I thought I'd send you this just in case. (laughs) We survived another week of being snowed in without too much difficulty. On Wednesday, we welcomed the arrival of Stargazer, our second kid of the year. And yesterday, we skipped ahead a bit in our family rewatch introduction to TNG, we're, fi- we're really only in season one, and FYI, we're heavily abridging the playlist for the f- of the first two seasons, <laughs> and watch the unification two-parter for reasons that are unfortunately obvious. I'm very close to being able to get the last two characters I'm missing in Legacy, the expert versions of the of Rose and Osgood, and I'm anxiously awaiting the new update coming Monday. Yay. Live long and prosper, Eric. Thank you, Eric. Thank you, Eric. Thank you, Eric. That is something, Eric, that you reminded me that I did do this weekend is I completed, uh, thanks to my tax return coming in, um, my uh, my next-gen Blu-ray set. Ooh. So now I own all seven seasons on Blu-ray, and I'm very happy about that. Nice. Haven't started watching them again. <laughs> Eventually. That's a bigger undertaking. After, after French, there will be <laughs> there will be Star Trek to go around. Mel's excited. She's, like, ready. And it's like, oh, we can't do it yet. I want to be able to watch these. <laughs> 
Up next in feedback is Chrissy. Chrissy writes, I know, he's beaten me twice. Dear Vortex Boys, loved all the galley reports, though when you said the interview with Nick Briggs had spoilers for the Eighth Doctor Adventures, my brain didn't catch up to the fact that you were talking about the Lucy Miller stories, and I thought for a moment you were talking about Dark Eyes, which I have listened to the first set, but that's all I've done so far. But I have listened to all the Lucy Miller stuff, so I already know what's going to happen. Chrissy, your next paragraph is, um, we're going to hold on to it, so we apologize, but we have something special planned for this, so, uh, so it, it, we're just skipping that. So don't, don't be afraid, we're not excising it, but it'll show up eventually. She continues. We've redacted another email from Chrissy. <laughs> oh, that Chrissy. She just she writes us books and books and books, and we have to we have to we have to trim the fat. It's like we're we're, we're looking at putting out a Target novelization, and she's giving us War and Peace. I'm off today. That joke didn't work either. God, that's. Mm. She continues. For this segment of Beyond the Doctor, I was able to find and watch Sinbad in the Eye of the Tiger. So here's my review. I'm not what you'd call a student of film, like you three seem to be, but I have heard of Ray Harryhausen and his considerable contributions to film regarding special effects. But this is the first time I've actually seen a Harryhausen movie. And yeah, I can definitely see where he was a pioneer of special effects in movies. The creatures in this are actually quite impressive, given the time period this movie was made. It looks like it either predates or is concurrent with Star Wars, and I can see the influence Harryhausen had on that franchise as well. It must have been a new concept for actors to act against creatures and other things that weren't there. Or maybe it wasn't. Again, I'm not a student of film, so I could be showing my colossal ignorance of the subject. But they seem to do an okay job with that. As far as the writing goes in regard to the story and characters, it's certainly a product of its time. doesn't mean I didn't enjoy it, but all the cliches were there. The super macho hero, the damsel in distress, the super evil witch lady, the wise old wizard, the wizard's apprentice, although it was cool that it was his daughter and she was and the prince ended up together. I liked that aspect of the story, even though it wasn't fully explored at the end. And when Patrick Troughton's character was finally introduced, I almost thought he wasn't going to go with the crew. And I started thinking, why in the world did the Vortex <laughs> Boys pick this one for Beyond the Doctor? <laughs> but then he went with them, and it was all good. Honestly, if I hadn't known that was Troughton going into this, it would have taken me a while to realize it was him. His makeup and costuming must take some of the credit for that, certainly. But even his voice and some of his mannerisms are so very different from when he played the Doctor. Of course, there were some aspects of his character that were pretty Doctor-ish. Feeding that bee the growth potion. What the crap were you thinking? <laughs> but it just shows how good of an actor Patrick Troughton was that he practically disappeared into that role, and it was a lot of fun to watch. Anyway, that's all I've got for this week, unless I remember something else between now and Sunday. Hope you're all having a good week, and I will talk at you later. Chrissy. Which Chrissy did remember something. <laughs> she continues. Leonard Nimoy. Quick P.S. This news happened after I sent my first feedback email. And it sucks that this is the follow-up email that I'm sending. But I wanted to acknowledge Leonard Nimoy's passing. We all talked about him on the Five-ish Fangirls, how he was one of the great sci-fi legends, and how sorely he will be missed. Even though I came to Star Trek fandom later in life, I still think Spock is one of the best characters in genre TV, and that is in no small part due to Nimoy's portrayal. I cried when the news hit on Friday that he died. At the same time, it was incredible to see how many people have mourned him since then, and how many people admired his work. Rest in peace, Spock. Your soul was indeed the most human. Well said, Chrissy. Thank well said. you, Chrissy. 
Up next in feedback is Holly. Holly writes, episode 218. She got it right. <laughs> she did. Hey, guys. Great last podcast. Loved all about what happened at Galley. Now for the 10 o'clock news part of my email. Leonard Nimoy. What to say. He's made an impact on everyone. I grew up watching reruns of classic Star Trek with my dad, and I can remember going to see Star Trek Four in the theaters and loving all the moments with Spock and those with Bones. He will be missed, and he left quite, quite behind quite a body of work. For some happier news, we have we ha- oh, okay. For some happier news, we have hold on to your seats. The books for both March and April for Traveling the Vortex Book Club on Goodreads. There was a two-way tie between Silhouette by Justin Richards and Blood Cell by James Goss. Via a coin flip, the book of March will be Silhouette, (laughs) and the April book will be Blood Cell. Looking forward to the discussions on the threads on Goodreads, and looking forward to Beyond the Doctor, Patrick Troughton Review. Holly from Wisconsin. And I have to say that I'm very grateful that the coin flipped that way, because <laughs> this was this was actually a set of uh, Twelfth Doctor books that came out the end of last year, actually the end of last year and the beginning of this year, and the first one in those series is Silhouette. And my intention was to sit down and read them in, in order. order. I don't know that you necessarily have to, because a lot of times the new series adventures, you don't necessarily have to read them in order. You can read them all over, and we're known for not doing anything in order. <laughs> but my intention was in to order, do that. What's that? And I was afraid when I saw that uh, at one point uh, the blood cell was leading. It's, I believe, the third in that set. I may be wrong. That the crawling. Seems, that seems right. The crawling terror. Terror might be. It might have been third. I'm hoping it's third because then these will have been in order when I read them. If not, I'm going to have to cram one in between them because I intend to read them in order. <laughs> so I was actually quite relieved when I saw that uh, we had settled on the silhouette. And unfortunately, those people that were chomping at the bit to read the blood cell probably have read the first two, <laughs> and that might be why they wanted to go on to this one. But this one suits me, so I'm <laughs> I'm glad to be reading silhouette. So. Uh, so there's that. Thank you very much, Holly. And thank you very much for, um, you know, leading the charge on the, uh, the Goodreads page. We very much appreciate you yes, we do. taking stewardship of that. All, all four of them. All four of them. It's, yeah, it's Michelle, Brittany, Rachel, and Holly. Up next in feedback, another five-ish fangirl, Brittany. She says, this isn't poison. This is extract of baboon. <laughs> Referring to the subject line, I know it wasn't like that, but I watched Emperor's New Groove earlier in the week, and that's where my brain went. <laughs> this is going to be short. Sorry. Also written by Matthew Jacobs. Was it really? Yeah. <laughs> I did not realize that until I was looking up some of Matthew <gasps> Jacobs' work when you were talking about him, trying to score an interview with him, and <gasps> I saw that on his uh, <laughs> bio, and I went... Oh, I love the first new group. Okay. My my love of this man just went from here <laughs> to here. Much higher. And it was already high. <laughs> not right down here. It was up here. Uh, Brittany goes on. In theory, it should have been easy for me to get my hands on Sidbad and the Eye of the Tiger. My library has it, but somebody checked it out before I can get my hands on it, and it hasn't returned it yet. But I have connections and was able to watch it on time. I enjoyed the story. I'm not too familiar with any of the Sinbad stories, but it was interesting. I'm curious to look for some more. For more. 
Some of the special effects and acting were not best, but I was able to ignore it for the most part. I really did love the costumes, though. I did like Patrick Troughton's character. Malentheus. <laughs> Malentheus. <laughs> no. I, I saw it coming. I was like, oh, gosh, she spelled it out. <laughs> oh, though I could help but face palm when he gave that potion to the bee. <laughs> I guess that is it. Again, sorry it's so short. Can't wait to hear what you boys and everyone else, hopefully with longer emails, have to say about the story. Though before I leave, I should mention that since I'm pretty sure you will talk about it, I am shocked about Leonard Nimoy. Like I said in my blog, he was someone I thought would live forever. Until next time, Brittany. Thank you, Brittany. Thank, Thank you, Brittany. Brittany. Well, shall we move on to our review of... Sinbad and the Eye of the Tiger. I'm Lanthius. <laughs> Sinbad must deliver a prince transformed into a monkey to the lands of Admaspia. Spoilers. <laughs> to restore him to his human form in time for his coronation. On the way, he must contend with the evil Cenobia and her son and their magic and several na- nasty looking Ray Harryhausen beasties. <laughs> That's not the official. That's a user submitted. <laughs> that's alright. That's good. Dun dun dun. Glenn didn't like it. We'll let him go. No, first. I liked it. <laughs> no, okay. Well, I'll it's start. I'll start. I'll start. I'll start. I'll start. I'll start. Quality I'll start. The other two here. Uh, oh, really? I, I don't think. Um, it lacks in story where I think, I think the other ones do, but I think the special effects in this one are much better than the than the first two entries. Really? Yeah, I think so. Um, I think where I come come down on this is I watched this many, many, many times when I was a kid. This was, as Sean and I talk a lot about the HBO staples, this is one of those ones that was on HBO frequently, and just about every time it was on, I, I would catch it. Uh, it's one of those ones, though, that I think I saw as a, as a kid once all the way through, and then each time it was on, I'd be, I'd come in on a different part, but just stay until, you know, it was over. And so it was one that I saw so many times. But it's another one that I probably hadn't seen since I was probably seven or eight years old because it was it came out right after you know it, it, its first release on HBO was shortly after it aired. In, I mean, uh, uh, was released theatrically in 1977. So, Chrissy, you are correct. It is it was right around the same time as Star Wars, um, and it, it was one of those ones that I just I, I totally fell in love with, and I had never seen uh, the Seven Voices of Sinbad, and I'd never seen. Um, the Gold Voice is in bed. Or, well, the first one's actually the. I can't remember what the first one's actually called. It's not Seventh. It's Seventh Voyage. Seventh Voyage. Yes, yeah. it is. Gold, Golden Voyage is the. Golden Voyage is the, is, is the next. The, is the follow up, and then this is the last one. Um, so it has been a long time since I've seen it, and so revisiting it now, it's it is one of those films that it has a place in my heart because I enjoyed it as a child. It's one of those ones now that is. Very, very well dated. As as good as I think the special effects were for the time that it was released, and it is Harryhausen. It, it's, it's, oh, it's, it's it's just it, it's spot on exactly what he made great with, especially stop motion animation. Yeah. Um, but it doesn't really. If you were new and came to it, you might be able to appreciate the story a bit. But overall, it would be a hard watch for anybody new to it, for the most part. So. It was a little like that to me revisiting it with adult eyes. And so I think I watched it a little more critically 
the performances are very weak, especially um, <laughs> pretty much everyone but Trouton. Will help me out, Patrick Wayne, who played Sinbad this round. And um, <laughs> I didn't. It wasn't until I got about third maybe even further into it that i realized that that was um that the princess was uh, jane oh really seymour yeah, i, I recognize her well i saw her name in the credits and i was like oh hey and i love jane seymour because she's one of my favorite bond girls i've always loved her as domino in uh, uh live and let die. thank you live and let die and but even knowing that that live and let die was not long before this so she'd have been roughly the same age only about five four or five years older she looked a lot she looked she very much so like young. she did and yeah. back then, but I still took me a long time. It was one of those faces that I went, "Oh, she looks so familiar." She I was, looks so I was familiar. doing the same thing well, until I, about the halfway this. point, and I had to look it up. And then went, "Oh and then my when god!" She, she, there was a phrase that she said that was, and I, I wish I could remember what it was. That was very Jane Seymour, and I went, "Oh, it's Jane Seymour. <laughs> that, it's Domino." And so from then on, you know, then I, I think I just started focusing on her. But um, <laughs> see, I, I think I know, I recognize it was her after I saw her name in the credits, and then. Under the veil, I was like, oh, yeah, that's her. See, and I missed missed her name in the credits entirely. Um, It's a very stylized film. It's, I like how colorful it is. I like how Harryhausen uses a variety of of color palette throughout the entire, from the credits at the beginning, which are very colorful. Between the two. To the costuming, which, you know, that's obviously not specifically him, but he he did produce this film. It was his influence. And, um, the locales on this are, are gorgeous, just just from the standpoint of even being a 1977 oh, film. Yeah. It's how many of them were they actually at? Because there was a lot of green screen. Well, there was a lot of green screen, but it was very imaginative. Even in the green screen oh, yeah, use, it was. It was, it was so imaginative, and it really felt like a, a, a an epic Simbad based you know mythos, and and so it was really grand and bold. And I think it, I think it was a bold approach in 1977. Especially on the heels of Star Wars, which had would have been released theatrically only months earlier in May, I think this came out in August, and so it was. Just, it, it's, it's very well realized. It's just watching it now in in, in 2015. It's it just there's a lot of it that is still dated, and it feels very dated. But overall, it's it's an enjoyable story. It's really weak on a lot of the acting. All the way, I loved Patrick Troughton. I think he's he's one of the best. We'll get, we'll get to his part in yeah. a little bit. It, it, it's very, he's the best part of this film. Um, I really – I thoroughly enjoyed The the Witch. I thought she was good. She was – she chewed the scenery a bit. But I think that that's kind of expected in this type of movie. That's, yeah, well, she's kind of the – for lack of a better word, she's kind of the mustache twirling yeah. villain. Yeah. That's, that's, that that's her role. Yeah, and yeah. It, it, that was her role. And the, the, the gentleman that played her son, I thought he was, he was that very good sidekick menace. Um. Yeah, I mean the, the the silly moments are, and as as the girls pointed out, the the bee feeding the bee the uh, growth serum. That that was. Why, why would you just, even do that? Yeah, I um. It was clear that um, science. It was clear that Melanthius realized <laughs> that, that he made after a mistake. he did it, he made a mistake, and so it's almost excusable that he did do it once he realizes, oh, that was dumb. You know, and it gives Sinbad a reason to come out and be heroic. <laughs> and save the day. I think the yeah. other thing that I have a problem with this is Sinbad seems so sidelined in this picture. Oh, he very well it's, much was. It's such a character study. It's such a 
contrast of characters that Sinbad really does. He, he's the hero, and he still gets the action scenes. He's the, the man the, of action. The, the, the bee story. is one of them, and I, I, I really believe that the, the, the fight at the end with the tiger, which we <laughs> the eye of the tiger, and <laughs> it, takes it doesn't happen. And then it's a saber tooth tiger. And <laughs> it takes forever to realize. But Honestly, it wasn't until just now when you said that that it finally kicked in because I remember thinking, eye of the tiger, so this is going to be a mystical jewel, this is going to be this, that's something they have to go after. And not until just now that you said that, I went, uh... <laughs> We get the flash of her eyes when she animates the demons yeah, at yeah. the beginning, which was really cool. There was another scene that Sinbad got to shine in, I think. Um, you see the eyes and they're very cat-like and there's another scene later on where that same thing happens and it might be before her transformation to the goal or the albatross whatever it no because that was done through the oh that's right because it was her, she flashed and there was some mist and yeah she was in a yeah, was when she's, and then at the very end so the yeah then so and then the next one obviously is when when she does the transformation of the tiger so there's that there's the eye visual there but then yeah it's not until she actually Becomes the saber toothed tiger that it really. Oh, that's why this called. Yeah, exactly. yeah, it's kind of. It was a bit of a stretch, I thought. Um, but over, I, I enjoyed it. it. Was it was one of those things that it, I I really kept kind of felt my inner child come out as I watched it because I <laughs> I, I did maybe watch it through eight year old eyes again as an adult, but yeah. but but on reflection as an adult, I I see a lot of the flaws and and problems with the film primarily being the acting. Um, I thought that the while the animation is sketchy, the the stop frame animation for the Baboon is sketchy. I think that was an interesting choice because I think when you're when you're doing things like animating a primitive, which was the big horned monster, which Harryhausen has a thing about horns. Even in Clash <laughs> of the Titans, the Cyclops had a horn. Yeah. But in when you're animating things like that, or even a saber toothed tiger, or even a uh, the demons, which I think are that's still my favorite animation in the entire thing. The choice to do the stop frame animation is almost necessary. Oh yeah. But when you, you get animate a, baboon. a baboon, I understand where you're trying to get it to do very human-like things. It has to have humanistic traits because it is the prince that's been transformed into a baboon. But I think that they probably could have gotten away with a trained actual baboon on set. And I think that that might have made that piece of it work a little bit. Because when you have so much of an animated character like that, and it's not in pieces like a battle or, oh, yeah. or a secondary yeah. character that comes much later as, as the primitive did, it... It's, you start to see the blemishes. You start to see the lines. You start to see behind the curtain. And th- when there's almost too much of that, then it sort of starts to draw you out of the story. And so I think that's my only problem, major problem with that particular element of it is I wish they would at least, at the very least, mix it with some live-action baboon and some animated baboon if it was necessary. I think that might have kind of... It wouldn't have been ideal, but I think it would have been better than going with the full choice of animating the Batman through the whole thing. So that was its weakness, and, and obviously the performance. I mean, one of the things that bothered me the most is that they clearly had a lot of British actors. And I think when you're doing <laughs> fantasy film, a British accent works very well. Oh, yeah. Because it's, yeah. to me, it's very old world. It works because, you know, medieval fantasy is, is in your mind and in... in, 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 in Visual arts is often British actors. Well, a lot of the fantasy action. ideas comes from like King Arthur and evolutions of that idea. And yeah. then to cast somebody like Patrick Wayne because you want a good-looking American <laughs> actor to play the lead. And while he did do the voice stylized, it wasn't a Brooklyn accent. It wasn't a Southern accent. It wasn't even a mid- Midwest accent. 
but 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 losing that British edge of it, I think to cast that particular actor, <coughs> it sort of took away from it. So that was a little bit bothersome. <laughs> See, I walked away from the movie going, I think my uh, accent detector is broken. So I couldn't tell what anybody's accent was in this movie. I couldn't tell what accent Troughton was trying to do. Like, it, it didn't sound like the Docker, so it didn't sound like his uh, British accent to me. See, I, I heard, wasn't Salamander. I, it wasn't Salamander, <laughs> I, so it wasn't his, I heard, his, his, well, his Spanish accent. And, I heard British, but it, he didn't have the, 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 the nervous tics and the worryisms that yeah, he has as, and, as and the Yeah, and I think, I don't know if it's, I haven't seen enough of interviews with him to hear how he normally sounds that I don't know, but it just, I couldn't pinpoint if he was, if he was British or not. If his accent was British or if I just am so used to hearing a British accent that between British and American, because I'm so – I hear both of those so <coughs> frequently, I can't tell them apart anymore. See, he and, and James, Jane Seymour contrasting – See, Jane Seymour almost and, and the other more the other actress, accent. and I forget the woman's name, but the blonde, was so contrast against his that that's all I heard was the British. Now, the – See, Jane Seymour, I hear British. Yeah. She the is, secondary actress – the secondary actors so were using a faux Middle Eastern yeah, dialect. That, that I can pick up on. Doing. Yeah. And so then again, contrasted against the British actors, it just they, there was a hodgepodge of dialect. And so if you would had just the British with the caricatures of the Middle Eastern accent, I, it would have been a little better. But then when you throw in the very Americanized but distinct <laughs> syllables that, 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 that Sinbad had to use because that's the dialogue, then there was this hodgepodge of, of yeah. different dialects to me. It almost sounded like you said Daleks. Dialects. <laughs> uh, I, don't, I don't know if I've seen Golden Voyage. I know I've seen the seven, uh, Seventh Voyage. Um, so this, this movie to me was rather enjoyable. Sean just Sean just had a revelation, epiphany, or an epiphany. Uh, well, because I'm doing research, Peter Mayhew, yeah, played the Minotaur, <laughs> uncredited. Didn't know that. And there's another Doctor Who actor in in the movie. I think I knew knew that from a uh, Q and A, but I, I wasn't at the Q and A. But I I'd heard or read a Q and A with Peter Mayhew. Uh, Zabid, the dad, I believe, of Jane Seymour. Uh, Bernard Kay, who was in Connie in Space. Those two Who actors in this, huh. um, but. Interesting. I did not know that. Yeah. Um, I I found the movie very enjoyable. Uh, mainly watching for Trout and I, it didn't have my interest invested fully in the beginning. Um, but it just, I think my biggest complaint with it is the story. The set pieces were nice. I just wish there was a better story to link them. And a lot of it felt like Harry Harryhausen saying, "I haven't done this yet. I want to try this." I want to see if I can I do can this as effects-wise. Yeah. And so they built this story and these pieces around his ideas of what he wanted to do special effects-wise. And that's why, to me, I don't know if that's what happened, but that's kind of made it suffer. While those effects were really well done, I think, and I didn't have a problem with the baboon um, or any of the other effects. It just seemed like it was such a flimsy story and s- script, really, to kind of string the movie along. I don't Especially know the, considering it's a little longer than I expected. I don't know that the too. story is is I, I understand what you're saying, but I think I think I attribute to it seems like the story And it's been a long time since I've seen Seven Voyages, so it could be well, very much in the vein of the other two. No, and, it really isn't. And I and I completely see where you're coming from, but I think what happens is I think I felt I felt the story felt like it needed to be padded out. 
And I think that's what you're, you're yeah, getting some yeah, of that, the yeah. weakness of it. I think that the story from A to B is good. I think that what we do it's, is it's, we spend a lot, a lot of time in the middle. We spend yeah. a lot of time highlighting the effects, as you were saying, and building the story around the effects. And I like, think that's where that comes like down. Like the whole B sequence. Right. The B sequence was very well done and very cool. But too long. But un- unnecessary, too. <laughs> too uh, long. I mean, he could have... I'm sure there was other ways they could have even done that, and they needed an action piece at that moment, that's and that's what that's what they, See, I, they I, did. I, I think because the, the, her with shrinking you. and becoming a gull was really cool and really yeah. uh, fascinating. And then they captured her, and I was like, "Oh yes, what's going to happen now? Oh, he's going to turn into bee. Oh, what? What? <laughs> and then she's going to escape and have a bird foot, but walk normal the rest of the movie. Oh, but see, she limped a little bit, but not very much. She did limp, and I liked that aspect of it. I liked the. See, I like I, the I, I idea like, of liked, a consequence. I liked her part of it, but the, I guess, it just felt unnecessary. The B part. Mm, see, they could have just the B. Yes, with, the, with the bird foot. I think no, was, no. The bird was, foot was, was fine. tragic it was and just, necessary. Yeah. See, I liked the B part of it. Not. I mean, I'm not saying that. Oh no, it was, it totally was fun. Necessary. I but, agree with you. Uh, it felt like we haven't had anything blow up in a while. Yeah, Let's yeah. insert an action scene. Not a lot you can do on a boat either. So, yeah. but that's just it. I feel like there was a lot of and the Minotaur felt a little underused. They made this really cool. Gold Minotaur, and he rose a boat. That's it. <laughs> I was so angry. I thought, this is going to be the great, awesome end set yeah, piece know, to make this right? awesome fight. We're going to get to this. Nope. He, he stabs one guy. He rose in the water. A, in the water. He rose a boat. <laughs> oh, and, and he flips him over. And then when he's up there, she, he's working his walking that block off of that pyramid. And I made the joke. I said, and then he fell off and was crushed by the brick. And then he fell off and was crushed by <laughs> had the. Had you not seen? This? I had not seen oh, this. That's interesting. I I I'd seen Golden Voyage over and over and over and over and over and over again. Golden Voyage, and is my I favorite, don't. I honestly I don't know that I've seen now all of the original. I think I've seen. See, bits I think, and I, think I just meld the original and Clash of the Titans in my head. Just to put the just just to put this in perspective, the Seventh Voyage of Sinbad was actually made in the 1950s, and to me, it's a very different looking film. Paramount made that film in the 19. It wasn't but 20 years later that they made Golden Voyage and. Sinbad, Sinbad's Eye of the Tiger, because they still had a licensing. Am on, I remembering it wrong? Is a three picture deal, and so that was that was Harryhausen's way of saying, "Well, let's let's finish these. I when we started this twenty years ago, let's do these two pictures and, and get them done." Am I remembering wrong, or was the first one in black and white, or am I thinking of Clash of the Titans? Clash of the Titans was definitely not, color. Was no, color. Was not it's also color. the it's also the the latest of them because it was nineteen seventh voyage of Sinbad. Was it? I, yeah, I have. Not seen in a long time, and I saw it in black and white. That doesn't mean it's in black and white. See, I think I might have seen a black and white because uh, I had a black and white television as a kid and watched a lot of movies. In black Apparently, and white, I don't so. remember Clash of the Titans very well. Seven Voyages Sinbad is a 1958 Technicolor fantasy oh, okay. film. Okay, so I, 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 I maybe it's just I pre- thought it was Technicolor, but I saw it in black and white. Maybe it's I saw a black and white version, but. It, it took a little bit for me to get used to seeing the effects in color, even though apparently I've seen well, I've seen Clash of the Titans, but I must have seen the first Sinbad that, after the fact. And it just now that you say that, I think I have seen Seventh Voyage, but it's very muted in color too. Maybe that's what I'm thinking of. Be- it's, it's early Technicolor, muted. so yeah. it's not. There's not a lot of. I don't know. It just it's not as bright as I, the second I, two films. That's it was for certain. just abrupt to me seeing it, the effects in color. I don't know why it was. Maybe because uh, it was also I'm I'm sitting down to watch Patrick Troughton. This is in color. What's going on? <laughs> There's only three other instances of that. It's weird. Um, yeah, the 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 Minotaur, whatever. The beautiful prop of the Clockwork Heart 
I was like, oh man, the steampunk, just, oh, this is so cool. And they put it in the thing, and the bronze guy stands up, and it's like, oh, this is going to be awesome. And he, he rows a boat, and, does it. and like I said, I made the joke, he's going to fall off the pyramid and get crushed by the block. And then he did fall off the pyramid, get, <laughs> crushed, get crushed by crushed the block. And I went, really? <laughs> and Mel looked at me, she goes, have you not seen this one before? Because <laughs> apparently she's seen this one over and over again. It wasn't until oh. we got about midway through <laughs> that she went, okay, I remember which one this is. And when the, the, the witch transformed, she goes, oh, this is going to end badly for her. And I was like, are you speculating or do you know something I don't know? She goes, I know something you don't know. <laughs> uh, of course, her dad was a big you know, monster yeah. movie guy, so there was a lot of that. Um, but the B segment, I just felt like... If we hadn't maybe spent so much time in the travel log. Uh -huh. Oh, we're on a boat. Oh, we're going a long way around. Oh, we're going over here in the ice. Oh, we're going over here. Oh, we have time to bathe in the lake. You know, it was just kind well, of like... Bathing uh, in the lake was kind of odd, but it was a way to introduce the, the primitive. Yeah. I understood that part. I didn't mind. Unfortunately, <laughs> though, too, by doing that, it really makes the end feel very rushed. And I feel like... The, that we the, didn't travel the, yeah, all the way back. The whole pyramid... Yeah. Well, just even the whole pyramid scene seems to scene seems to be a lot shorter than I expect for the big climax of the film. Um, although the battle goes on with the tiger a little longer than I expected, but that 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 whole scene seems to take place in in the span of about fifteen minutes, and it's like then you're right. Then suddenly, after we leave, there's no voyage back. We're just there. We're just at the there, end and, and we're having the big ceremony, and, and then credits. And it's like yep. you don't even yep. get a da da da. So he stands up, and oh, we're done. Credits over a lot of the finishing of the story too, yeah. which yeah. is weird. It's very weird. The, the opening bit where we we get to the the city, and oh, there's a plague. You can't go there, but come stay in my tent, and I'll, and then all of a sudden we're attacked by these things. I mean, the creatures are great. The creatures are yeah. wonderful. In this. But that also felt rushed as well. Yeah. It was like they... Well, it's because they get into the action so quickly. Well, it, was, yeah. it, it almost felt like we want to hurry up and get to the boat. And then we get to the boat and nothing happens forever. <laughs> and then you get an action scene like the bee and then nothing happens. But you have, to, you have to wonder about that. The reason that I, I've always attributed the fact that the, the, the battle with the demons happens so quickly is because... It takes a lot of time to animate, animate stop motion, and so uh -huh. you don't spend a lot of time with stop motion when you're doing that. I thought the mammoth uh, fight, the mammoth battle, and then coming or not mammoth, I'm sorry, uh, walrus. walrus battle, where he comes up and and there's all that. Oh, yeah. That's 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 one and done too. It's just it's, it happens and then it's done. And I always attribute that to the fact that when you're doing when you're working with stop frame animation, you really have to with model work, you really have to just. Do as much of it as you can in a short span of time because it takes a long time to animate yeah. that. And, and I'm sure that they were pressed to, to get this out in August uh, on the heels of a lot of the successful films that had come out all over the summer. Well, so uh, Paramount wanted a chunk of that audience. It's actually Columbia. Oh, Columbia. Yes, I'm sorry. You're right. It's Columbia. Not Paramount, but yeah. Well, Columbia, yes. Those, Columbia. those initial ones almost feel like they're trying to reassure the audience. Yes, this is a Harryhausen film. You are going to see these things. <laughs> we're not going to we're not going to hold out on you. Yes. In know, case you pretty, forgot. That's pretty obvious at the beginning when he's like every third credit is. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, we're still giving you the effects. It's not just the name. I, I, uh, it's interesting. Uh, you, you talked about maybe Harryhausen had these different ideas. Uh, he apparently wanted to do a two-horned prehistoric rhino-like creature that was intended to fight the troglodyte in the shrine. Uh, troglodyte, he, that's what it's called. Yeah. Uh, he also planned to have Sinbad and his crew fight a yeti. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that idea was rejected in favor of the giant walrus. <laughs> so... 
Uh, and, and, and interestingly enough, I thought it looked familiar. The stop-motion troglodyte figurine was later cannibalized to make Calabas. Yep. In uh, Clash of the Titans. There you go. That's, that's, why, that's why he looks familiar. Um, so, I mean, th- this is one of those that... It's a Sinbad film. Two eyes out, one eye in the middle. <laughs> this is a Sinbad movie. I mean, they're all very... And, and even watching this one, I was very much reminded of the animated Sinbad, which I love. I love the animated Sinbad that DreamWorks did. Yeah, I've back in the, I have never seen it. You've never seen it? <gasps> That's the one where Brad Pitt voices... Brad Pitt voices Sinbad. Okay, so you need to see this movie because it's Sinbad, and it has all the fun set trappings that these movies have. They go on the voyage, they wind up in the ice, they fight a giant bird, there are sirens, there, you know, all, all those kinds of things happen. And they're very homage respectful to the Harryhausen idea. Mm. But it's also written with that DreamWorks Road to El Dorado flavor, where it's kind of, you know, an irreverent buddy mm-hmm. flick, but not. Right. And one of one of the one of my favorite bits is right up front. They're they're on the boat, and Sinbad is uh, uh, met up with an old friend of his, and he's actually stealing from him. He's going to rob the ship, and uh, they get attacked by a kraken. So this thing's coming up out of the water, and you know many tentacles and things like this. And they're standing there, and they look at each other, and this guard charges and goes ah, and this tongue shoots out of the kraken's mouth, grabs the guard, and sucks him in. <laughs> and Sinbad and his friend's eyes get this big. And the Kraken goes, and spits the guy back out. He's covered in green slime, and he lays there on the deck of the ship for a minute, grabs his sword and goes, ah, and charges back into battle. <laughs> and Sinbad looks at his buddy and goes, give that guy a raise. <laughs> <laughs> and it's that through the whole movie. You need to see this. It's awesome. It's very much in the same vein. And like I said, when you, when you go into something Sinbad, I think I'm, I'm ready why don't we make some more Sinbad movies? I'm sure The oh. Rock is available. Yeah. <laughs> call him up. Say, hey, we got Sinbad for you. Um, I think had Clash of the Titans done better than um, Wrath of the Titans, they might have gone uh, on with the, it. the problem, well... I think, I wonder, part that's, of that's that, though, is issues. I think that... And I may be way off base. This is just a presumption on my part. I wonder if the... Part of it might be the sensibility or the sensitivity of the classic Muslim faith because a lot of that is is based in that Middle Eastern lore and I wonder if because there's there's so many references I mean there's a lot of references to Allah and, and that the, at least the Middle Eastern mysticism of those ideals I wonder if there's there's a, a worry about being poking, offensive being offensive yeah because I mean it is feeling like they're poking fun at something let, let's be honest the, the mysticism in this movie is not really there it's a very stereotypical whitewashed it really is whitewashed but it, I think what what we uh, have a cast of all English actors well, for sake. I think what also uh, happens is they do they they end up at least with uh, Sinbad and the Eye of the Tiger is they they kind of meld a lot of uh, uh, I don't what's legend mythology together because there yeah. is a lot of Greek based uh, mythology in this as well. In fact, uh, uh, Menelipus or uh, Methuselah? No, not Methuselah. <laughs> but Met, uh, the, the Greek Patrick Troughton's character. Now it's now I can't that's, say the name. That's Methuselah. Ma- that's no, not it's Methuselah. not Methuselah. No way. <laughs> Mentalith- Mentalithia. Nope. Mentalith. Uh, yeah. Mel- Melanthius. Thank you, Melanthius. Melanthius. <laughs> I had to see it, 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 it was right there. Yes, Melanthius was uh, Greek himself, and he even called 
back to a lot of the Greek mythology when he was right. Was like, talking like about Sinbad's the, guys are going by Allah and by this exactly. and you know Allah preserves, and he's going by all of the gods of Zeus and right. the, you know Hera. And, and, and so it's interesting you know, to see that he even some of the, the the place that they go and I can't remember the name of the the, the the location that they end up. A lot of that was based in in Greek mythology as well. A lot of the basis. Did, did anybody so. notice the, uh, the, uh, the 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 set piece uh, uh, cameo there when they when they get into uh, finding. Uh, uh, Melanthius's uh, palace, what they think is his palace. Did anybody? Oh yes. Did anybody pick yeah, up on absolutely. what that was? Last Crusade. Oh, oh, I did that, not that, realize that's that. The, yeah, that's that yeah. hidden temple thing uh, that was in there. I don't know what the name of it is. Uh, it starts with a P. Uh, yeah, that one. <laughs> Petra. Yeah. Yeah. Petra. Okay. But I, I was like, hey, <laughs> that's from that other movie. <laughs> And it's also uh, it's it's really really weird because I didn't realize the time frame this came out. I'm watching this movie, and when they're walking through the canyons to get to to that location, it's Star Wars. It's totally R two <laughs> rolling down that desert thing, looking out for Jawas. And I kept waiting. I kept waiting for the shot of the rocks to fall because it's beat for beat that setup. <laughs> the music. I mean, everything is. Do like, we know was that shot in your? Well, was that was that? I can't remember if that was Monument or not Monument Valley, uh, Death Valley, or if that was or not Death Valley. They shot part of that in the U.S. and part of it in Tunisia. And part of it in Tunisia. The Tunisia was all of the barren, the uh, desert, and the desert stuff. I think that part was that the, part was shot in. Uh, I want to say Southern California or even Nevada. I can't remember for sure. I don't know where this was shot. I'm not saying it's the same canyon. Yeah, yeah, but, yeah. But, but, just, it was, just just why, but I wonder. I wonder if some of that was shot there as well. Well, and so. I kept looking at this, going, "Well, this is obviously George Lucas was influenced by this movie <laughs> where he made Star Wars." And then I went to the date and went, "Nope." <laughs> <laughs> they just happened to have that in right, common, right. which is weird. Um, but yeah, I, I don't think it's anybody's surprise that for, for as enjoyable as the film is, I mean, not that there's much there; it's a light bit of fluff. But for as enjoyable as the film is, Patrick Troughton is the star of this yeah. film. Oh, absolutely! And, and, and I sat there waiting. He's certainly waiting, the highlight for him to show up, and then he shows up. And I agree with uh, with Chrissy. If it weren't, f- if I didn't know he was in it, and if it's, his face is so recognizable in it, even with the beard, but. Hearing him and seeing him act, you can't tell it's him. Yeah, he does, he's he such a chameleon as an actor. Is anybody else a little? I do know that when they said we're going, we we're going to find Melanthe. He can help. Uh, he's the smartest the man in the world. And my, my, <laughs> well, it wasn't. It was then that I because all all along before we were starting to watch this, I again recalling this from a kid, I couldn't remember who Patrick Trump played, <laughs> and I thought. I can't, that's I couldn't. That's why I was doubting how much screen time he had when you, we were mulling this over for the day. And I, as soon as they said, they said we'll go find Melanthius. I went, oh, that that's Patrick Trout. Okay, that's that's why that's why I know. And then I then I was then I was appeased because I was like, oh yeah, when we finally get to him, he does have a lot. He's, of he's got a lot. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, and he's in um, the. No, he's not in Golden. Is it? Is it Golden? Boy? He's in one of the other ones, but he plays like a blind harpy, and he's only in a bit yeah, and then moves yeah. on. So I don't, and I don't think of it's course, Golden Voyage. Uh, Gold Voyage is uh, Tom Baker is in that one, so. which we may we may come back and revisit yeah. the Sinbad uh, <laughs> mythos with, for that one because that's he gets not a lot Dungeons of Dungeons and Dragons. Time. No, not Dungeons. Uh. And <laughs> I want something with a lot of screen time for Tom, and this may be the best <laughs> option. But um, is anybody else a little weirded and creeped I thought out? We do that in Remington Steel episode. That one episode <laughs> that he played the best. Well, we could do that. Um, anybody else weirder, creeped out that Patrick Troughton's old man voice sounds a lot like John Hurt? Did yeah. you think so? I, I thought so. I, I you didn't, didn't think I didn't so? Get that, I no. didn't get that. I either. totally had a John Hurt 
war doctor vibe going on huh. through his whole and then we're going to go and do this it's like ooh creepy <laughs> oh, gosh i didn't think it was I that didn't at all think that either. really yeah okay just it me. wasn't the doctor but it was no it wasn't the well, doctor yeah. at all but, but there were really great almost doctorish moments John like either. giving nah, totally the bee the serum that's something the doctor would do let's talk about the, then, let's talk about the bee in the room <laughs> but then like later when he gets excited you can totally hear. That's just Patrick Troughton when he gets yeah, excited when he's where yelling I could at hear, people. It's yeah, like oh, second hey, doctor. Hey, there was moments where yeah. I could hear second doctor. I would agree. For being the smartest guy in the room, you know the self-proclaimed that we build this guy. He's he's the smart. He's legend. He's and you show you him, but he gets he's there alive, and he. It's not. <laughs> well, <laughs> he just, he's got a lab, and he's got a thing, and he does some experiments. And I love this. I love That's the scene. That's such a cool introduction to where, him, too, going through. When, the- when they show the, the reflection to the baboon, and it starts weeping, and he's moved by it, and then introduces himself. I thought that was so cool that it as was. a man of science, he does this route first, and then comes back to this. But, so you, you get that. But then the whole time is all he's got is a map. He's got a map and a key. That's really all he brings to the thing. And the rest of it is, oh, you leave her with me. I'll extract the information out of her. Poorly. <laughs> well, In fact, you gave her all the plot. I mean, that was a very here, here's the thing, though. thing. He is the smartest man in the room. Unfortunately, that does not bode well for the others. Because here's <laughs> they're the that thing. stupid. No, here's the thing. Is they're not dumb. But there's a lot of naivety, naivety to go. their characters. Yeah. There you go. And he is not He's got a naive character. Yeah. <laughs> and so he really is. Unfortunately, that bodes very poorly for everybody else because when he comes on and he is a bit idiotic and bumbling, it does. It almost reflects on and makes them look even worse yeah, because yeah. you're going. Okay, he's the leader of this group? Oh, boy. <laughs> it's like Lord of the Rings. When Gandalf says, we're going to go and do this, and you're going to run away. It's like, oh, if Gandalf's telling you to run away, you are concerned <laughs> legitimately that yeah. it's time to run away. If Melanthius told me to run away, I'd be kind of like, I think I can take him. <laughs> <laughs> and I felt really bad that Sinbad, for being the man of action that he was, when we get to the end fight with the... Uh, the saber-toothed tiger and the, the troglodytes taking him all on and, 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 you know, getting mauled badly. At no point in time did Sinbad and his crew charge in and swipe at the thing from behind or help him out. It's like, we're going to let you handle this big guy. Oh, you died. All right, I guess I'll pick up my sword now and do something. So, yeah, they, they, they don't help him out or nothing. They just, oh, and then he dies. Just, Sorry, dude. You were a good friend. We will leave you here in this tomb of ice. <laughs> I'm going to go make out with the hot chick. <laughs> go, go, go Sinbad. You're such a hero. But um, I don't know. Like I said, the, the bee thing was such a delightful a doctor moment to, you know, to, to get into and then have it backfire on him so badly. And just, you know, and then he knocks the, the table over. <laughs> it's just... <laughs> I, I, every, like every, echoing everybody else's sentence. What were you thinking? What part of this seemed like? Yeah, I know. <laughs> this would kill an ordinary person your size. Uh oh. <laughs> Let's make it bigger. <laughs> what? Well, and unfortunately, he's in the rest of the movie after that point. But that's kind of his big moment. He's kind of relegated to a side character at that point. 
afterwards. Once, once we get to the island, he gives us some exposition about well, what's going he's still on. A lot of, still, he's still a lot of guidance, but that's about yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. He's the, he's the guide, yeah. Well, but in a Sinbad... I mean, he knows about the troglodyte, and he knows about the... In yeah. a Sinbad film, though, you do have to finally put Sinbad front and forward and not just be the, <laughs> the muscle. He has to actually take a leadership road because he is the captain of the voyage. So. Yeah. Unfortunately, they don't go far enough, in my opinion. Um. I really appreciate it. I'm going to sound strange on this one. The production design on this for, you know, the, the, the little touches of like adding the, the ice to the side of the ship yeah, that it was, that it was, that was icing nice. over as they were getting up in there. Um, and all of the, I loved the interior of the cavern. Um, yeah, the, with, the, uh, that, that was, was incredible. Very, yeah. very cool. And like I said, I, for, for all of the problems that stop motion presents itself with, that it, it's hard to kind of not look at it and go <laughs> hokey. You know anymore? Yeah, yeah. I will watch a stop motion fight all day, every day. Well, and part of it is before also- I get into a, a computer generated one, and I, I'm, I'm going to pick on the new remake of, of Clash of the Titans because <sighs> I just found myself not caring at all. I didn't buy into the danger. I didn't buy into the well, the, the suspense of the giant scorpion and all this kind of stuff. But man, that saber tooth tiger for as goofy as it looks, because it looked like a teddy bear. It looked it looked like Spock's Aishaya. From the animated Star Trek episode, it looked like a saber-toothed Vulcan pet, like a big teddy bear with fangs. And I still thought it was more menacing than some of the stuff we've See, been presented with later. I think, though, that it doesn't come down to the production value of it or production design of it. I think what happens is it comes down on how they fight, how they film action scenes now. And then when you're clipping in special effects with it, and you're doing that really quick, fast edits and quick fast cuts. Edit. I think that's what it is, and I think that's what suffers. Because when you're dealing with stop-frame animation, you have to stay wide. You have to lock a camera down, and it has to be a one, one, one shot, one image. And all of that movement happens on that screen. And so there's a very few of those cutting in tight on the action, and there's not a lot of quick movement with the choreography. So everything has to be choreographed down to one shot. And so I think that's what I enjoy about that. If they could do that with the wonderful uh, CGI animation that we're doing now, I think I would enjoy those fights much more. But when you start to cut in those quick edits and those, that, that fast-paced action that we seem to everybody seems to be grasping a hold of now, let's, let's take less time choreographing this fight and more time just swinging our hands and cutting really tight so that we're tricking the mind into the action I think that's what happens there. I think that's why I fall down on the side of I enjoy watching those stop-motion battles more because of the style of shooting, not necessarily because of the production of it. Because okay. of the, I'll the give you that. That's because I, I, I See, complain I, frequently about the quick edits. I, I think some of it also is computer effects are wonderful and great, but they're still not the real thing. And in the stop motion, there is still something physically. There's at least a physical model there. Yeah. Yeah. And so there's still that realism more so, even if it's claymation or whatever. And I think as great as visual effects are, it's still not quite having something there. Well, and I mean, there uh, there are different levels of visual effects. Obviously, the, the dinosaurs in Jurassic Park for me still hold up amazingly well. Yeah. versus but, some of the knockoff depend, ones that have on come the, down the road since that should have been better. Depending, but also on that, depending on the dinosaur, some of those were actually made. I mean, yeah. not all of them were CGI in that. So I think that's a big part of it. 
that T-Rex is a giant head. <laughs> yeah. It was a giant animal. And the raptors, head. which looked so good, were guys in suits. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of that that most people thought it was CGI, but no, that's a lot of practical effects. Well, it's still more the, than two-thirds CGI, but there are, there's that. It, there's enough, yeah, there's enough basis that, there so. to build on. Six minutes. Six minutes of CGI in Jurassic Park. Just, just I happen to have that back toy at my <laughs> fingertips if you're, if you're curious. It's kind of like motion capture now. As opposed to just digitally inserting a character. You get the more realism than you would if you just digitally inserted a character. Yeah. What do you think Harryhausen would make of all this if he were if he were still alive today? Do you think he'd be... Oh, I think he gets a lot of the credit. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's definitely, you know, standing on the shoulders of giants in some regards. But do you think if he, if he were still active and making films today, would he be super excited about the computers? Or would he kind of shun them and go, eh? I don't know. I'd be really curious. He'd be he'd be another one of those that I'd be really fascinated to have if I had a TARDIS. I you know, let's let's bring him forward and show him what they've Watch done. This, and, yeah. You know what? Do, what did you think of this? You know, I, I part of me thinks that at least hopes that some of the things he would not like because it's sacrificing story for effect. Yeah, it's definitely true. I would disagree because I think that. I think Harryhausen films, as you alluded to earlier, <laughs> sacrificed special effect for story. And I think that that still happens now today. And I think that Harryhausen is a very effects-driven filmmaker. I think yeah, that he, he looks at the effects before he looks at the story. I mean, that's, that's clear with both Gold Voyage and uh, Eye of the Tiger. Mm. So I think that the only he one would I think you can argue that, that doesn't that do would, that is Clash of the Titans. I think, I think of that, all of the Harryhausen films, they're all I think a, that effects he, pieces. Well, yeah, it's got a very strong story built around it too, though. I think though that he would look at where they are now and still be as fascinated. And I don't think I mean he had obviously moved away from stop motion even at the towards the end of his career. He was part of an early, and I don't want to say pioneer, but he was on board with the early CGI. So yeah, yeah. no, I, I I think that. I think he would be appreciative and probably if he were had been several years younger and had been – had lived long – well, he just passed away like four or five years ago, didn't he? Not that long ago. Yeah, yeah. it wasn't that long ago. Yeah, I think that he probably would have embraced, embraced the new culture. I think, though, he probably – what would have bothered him, what would have bothered me is the, is the quick edits and the, and, the, and the no longer the – spectacle and more of the just the fast movement to trick the brain into thinking there's more happening than there really is so but i can see both sides of it i think that there's probably things about it that that he would be bothered by and i think there would be certainly things that he i'm not going to put him up i mean i put him up on a pedestal for different reasons i'm not going to put him up there as a true artiste from the filmmakers you know guide of, of of i mean like I said, Harryhausen films are all about the spectacle. We don't watch Harryhausen films because they've got great stories. We watch Harryhausen films because they're Harryhausen films, and they're going to have at any minute now the monster is going to show up. <laughs> right, that's true. That's, that's what you true. watch a Harryhausen film for. And so I think that that side of it, I agree with you. I think he'd be very much behind that. I just wonder maybe if he he would maybe bemoan the loss of the craft a little bit, like Phil Tippett, you know, doing all of the stop motion dinosaur stuff, and then kind of seeing what ILM could do with a digital yeah, dinosaur and yeah. kind of having to completely, I mean, I give him props for being able to adapt and, mm-hmm. and involve in, in that environment, but you kind of feel sorry for him going, yeah, you're done. <laughs> you know, this is, <laughs> you know, traditional animators. 
I'm sorry, guys, but the writing's on the wall at this point. Yeah. I, I hope it changes because I love the other stuff, but you, you kind of have to wonder about I'm some of that. I'm having to look it up. I think it was, uh, was it Marcel Delgado who did the stop frame animation for King Kong, the original King Kong film? I mean, I, I, they all hand it off to the next guy yeah. who yeah. becomes, that, that takes the craft further. And I think that the, the Harryhausens of the world handed it off to the computers. And, and I think that they're, yeah, they probably lament the passing of, a, of an era, but I think they also are encouraged by the things that, that their imagination can only go so far on film. Yeah. And so I think that they would probably look at the, the, the things that, that we're doing now with creature effects and realize that, yeah, this is this is the next step to make to make it even more what they, they picture in their minds. Well, I, I or don't even just stepping a decade closer, or not even that much, to interview or uh, Werewolf in London. Yeah, yeah. And the I think he would have been blown away. I'm sure he was blown away by that because he just passed away two years ago. And, and I don't I don't bemoan all visual effects, obviously. We're, but we're, there's a there's a, a wide difference between a good visual effect and a bad visual effect. And when you, oh, when you look oh, at yeah. things like Caesar in Dawn of the Planet of the Apes, we're looking at a very very good special effect. When you look at things like giant scorpions in the remake of Clash of the Titans, it's not a very good special effect. Yeah, and, yeah, and, yeah. and like you said, a lot of it may be just with how it's how it's filmed and how it's presented. But a lot of it, too, is I think the the heart that has to go into it and having a motion capture person... It makes a huge at difference. The, at, the, ...at the core of that performance, I think, is is key to it. It was Marcel Delgado. Okay, and I thought I'd remember I thought the name was yeah. right, but I didn't want to... I, I, yep. I, I, I couldn't commit to it, for sure. <laughs> But, you know, there we have it. We have Sinbad and the Eye of the Tiger, and we have Patrick Trout in a very undoctoral. And it's kind of fun to, I mean, with a little reversal going from the carry on with William Hartnell very early in his career prior to being the doctor mm-hmm. to this is Patrick's already put that behind him, and this right. is the kind of he stuff he wanted to go else. into yeah. and, and, and be a little different. Um, so it was kind of fun to get that. Uh, it really makes me want to go explore more of the, the movies he was in to see him and how good he could be in other things. Um, you're going to look for The Omen next, I think. Well, yeah. <laughs> Actually, there's the two... The most readily available. There's two other movies on Netflix that he's been in, and I can't remember the other one, but he's like a great robber or something, so it's a small role. What do we got coming up next on the schedule, Sean? Well, next week on the schedule, we are continuing with Friday Night Who, which, if you're new to the program, is our uh, our weekly watch along with Doctor Who. We're going to do the second half of the Ice Warriors with Patrick Troughton, so episodes four, five, and six, which will be Friday night at midnight. And then our show next week is what? I have to go back and find it <laughs> because I've lost my schedule. It is Red and uh, the Ice no. Warriors. It's Red, Red Dawn. 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 <laughs> I did that last week when we were reviewing, or two weeks ago when that's, we were reviewing yes, Red. That's what Red it is. Dawn. Red Dawn. And we're going to do a mini uh, Asian Ice Dawn. D A W N. We're going to do a mini Ice Warriors adversary archive. An adversary archive with both the Ice Warriors. Uh, so we'll be covering the new animation segments, which I'll have to go back and watch because I missed Friday this week. Uh, and then the Big Finish Audio, number eight in the main line with. Peter Davidson yes. <laughs> and Perry, Red Dawn, and after that is a uh, uh, Planet Comic Con, right around the corner for our doorstep. Uh, if anybody's um, in the neighborhood and planning on coming, please look us up. We don't know for sure what we're going to be doing yet, but we will apparently have a table and or booth 
Uh, we may and not or. be. And or. <laughs> and or. I think it's or. or. <laughs> I think it's table or booth. We, we probably won't be at it much. But we might have a table in a booth. Come, come track us down. <laughs> and, a table and, at a booth. Yeah. Ooh. Can we have a booth at a table? A little harder. Would you like a table or a booth? It's a restaurant thing. I'm not crazy. He's uh, falling short today, isn't he? <laughs> <laughs> the cylinders are not. <laughs> just not just quite just firing not at the, the right time. Well, you know what it is, is I'm so mesmerized by the idea of you being a DJ. <laughs> and a cop. I completely set you off kilter. I never got over that. Um, and so uh, next week for Planet Comic Con, we will be doing... Not the Sound of Drums and Last of the Time Lords, which is what's originally on the schedule. We've updated that. I should mention this. Uh, we will be doing the 11th hour because John Barman is not going to be at Kansas City, Con- Plan- Kansas City Planet Comic Con. Uh, but we are having uh, hosting Karen Gillan and Caitlin Blackwood. So it's the 11th hour, and I will get that updated on the schedule. And then uh, there's some more stuff coming post that. So, All right. And we should do a shout-out to uh, Brenda this week, who uh, has... Uh, Helped us out on Patreon again. So she is... Um, Given to the cause. That's right. Giving to the cause. So thank you very much, Brenda. We sure, certainly appreciate, appreciate it. If you uh, want to help support Traveling the Vortex, all of your all of your donations go right into this show to uh, help us produce this. And you can find a link to Patreon on our website, TravelingTheVortex.com. It'll click on that little P. It's a little tiny P in a... Orange background, and that'll take you right to the page where you can uh, too can support us. All right, uh, is that going to do it for this week? I believe so. Until next week, I'm Glenn. I'm Sean. I'm Keith. Cheers. Good night, everybody. Good see you. You have been listening to Traveling the Vortex. Doctor Who and all of its associated programs are owned and trademarked by the BBC. No infringement is intended or implied.